0: Good morning, and welcome to this extremely special edition of Riddles in the Dark, brought to you by the Mythgard Institute. I'm your co-host, Dave Kale, and I am podcasting live from my living room. That's right, not exiled to the back, because this is the first post-film, post-actually, not even just post-Battle of Five Armies film, post-Hobbit trilogy film, um, uh, episode of Riddles and in the Dark.
1: post-Jackson era film. Yeah, oh, post-Jackson
0: yeah, era film. <laughs> that's right. That's right. The post-Jackson era episode of Riddles in the Dark. And I'm podcasting for my living room because I've got my wife's um, uh, WGA screener going on in the background. So I'm going to be sitting and absorbing the film <laughs> in the background and probably just drifting off and not paying attention to the podcast. Um, while we're... <laughs> Or actually, if you may, hear me making noises of of disdain and pain, then then you know right. I'm actually paying attention to the film. No, I'm just kidding <laughs> um, so today's today's a, an exciting episode because we you're gonna get you're gonna get to hear um, the initial reactions of your riddles in the dark um, uh, um, uh, podcasters minus one unfortunately, Laura couldn't be here, but you know who I do have here with me. You'll be surprised to hear. I've got Trish Lambert and Corey Olson, the, to- the token <laughs> professor.
1: <laughs> Thanks so, for allowing us on your show today, Dave. Yeah, That's you're welcome. Right.
2: <laughs> especially, I feel especially honored to be invited into your show from the living room. I mean, I can fully appreciate what yes. a big deal that is. Yes, yeah,
0: because you're usually in the basement, right?
2: Yeah, I moved up from the storage closet to the basement, but I, I don't really have any further aspirations at this point. You know, uh, the to living be in room. A public is, space. I mean, man, that is. That is, uh, you know, you're like the headliner in your house today. That's 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 pretty. That's kind that's of that's right. That's right. So, um,
0: so we 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 are going to cover a lot today. Uh, we're going to give sort of our reviews of the film. Um, and actually, throughout the film, you're of course going to be peppered with or film uh, throughout the podcast. You're going to be peppered with um, our running commentary and likes and dislikes and things we enjoyed and cried about and um, for joy and things that we hated and cried about for for um, just uh, utter you know like suffering and, and desolation. Yeah. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna do reviews. We're gonna do some discussion of um, um, you know topics. Uh, do some analysis and talk about some some bigger issues. For example, authorial intent. Um, uh, that's yes. something that's come up a lot. A lot of people when we when you know people make criticisms of the film, you hear a lot of oh you should go read Philip Boyan's you know interview. She totally explains all of this. Um, so we're gonna cover a lot of that. It, it, by my tone, you can tell that. We're, we're not real big on what the <laughs> filmmakers say they meant by something. Um, right. uh, and then we're going to do uh, – I've planned like a nice little lightning round game. We're going to go through and just answer some quick quick response questions, do some more discussion. And then at the end, we're going to do a little bit of uh, – uh, all right, I won't spoil it, but we're, we're going to do something that it's way too soon to be speculating about, right? Which means it's the perfect time. Yes, exactly, for us especially.
1: And I also want to book time. I also want to book time for a tirade of my own, which oh, probably yeah. should follow right after the Authority Arlington like oh, Okay, all right. So we're gonna have yep. Uh, yep. We're, we're
0: gonna have another we're gonna have a special oh good special segment that uh, has some alliteration <laughs> a Special segment. Trish's tirade. Yes. Trish's or should tirade. we call it yes. Trish's T Rod? T
2: Rod. Yes. I was <laughs> just
0: going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> but by the way, listeners, just just to just to toss this out there before we get started, if you have not gone and listened to an episode of a. Asia's largest all-female comedy chat and geek podcast, Tomboy T-Rod. If you have not listened to our guest appearance on that, you absolutely must. You must go it's, download it's, it uh, as soon as this experience. episode's over. Don't download it and start listening to it right now yes. if
2: you're listening to us live
0: afterward. But um, you get
2: to hear us do a <clears> little <throat> bit of radio theater. One one caution I feel compelled to make uh, is that uh, the – the uh, language is not 100% family-friendly as no. it is accustomed to be uh, on the Tolkien Professor podcast. Uh, when we appear as guests on other people's podcasts, that will happen sometime. So just to caution you about, it, it's not awful, but uh, it just you know, a little bit of- to prime yeah. your expectations for that. Not but, that we um, said anything. No, we didn't exactly. Say anything. We yeah. uh, we were we, we were as good as we usually are yes. as for what that means. But um, but anyway, it was
0: just. <laughs> We use terrible language like "you catastrophe," exactly, <laughs> and
2: "deplorable." <Yeah>. Uh, <laughs> uh, right. But anyway, uh, no, I, we, <laughs> we're t- yeah, just to just to, just to throw out a warning about that. But yeah, no, it's uh, it's it, it was a, it was a really fun and altogether unique episode uh, in our experience. So it was. That yep. was uh, that was that was fun. Um, so,
0: you guys ready to launch Let's in? Go. Let's so go. So, Trish. Would you do the honor of starting us off? give us your your review of the film
1: my are we doing overall review and initial reactions is that yeah, what doing? yeah, or just kind
0: of yeah, just yeah. you know just anything that part, comes to anything that comes to mind well, start of off with
1: review, part of my review is in my tirade, so i'll have i'll wait
0: yeah you, you can save right, your on, tirade on that, uh, or if you want to start us off but, with your um, tirade
1: <laughs> could do could do I don't want to take away from. Corey's. Well, actually, maybe that's not a bad idea because Corey's actually should be the last thing we do. Okay, so so be re- So so fasten your seat.
0: Yeah, yeah. Let's start
1: with here. that. And this it's something like I'm foam. not on video because you, you start seeing me foaming at the mouth. Well, so first of all, my initial reaction. Um, I I really like the way the movie started out. You know, not, not a beat, not a skip in time at all. And I really enjoyed that those initial scenes. You know, especially I really liked the dragon interview with Bard, uh, <laughs> interaction with Bard, and I loved the Bard that his son and he both were were part of. You know, killing the dragon. I mean, that and I thought off to a good start. Okay, <laughs> even um, with the
0: even with the absurdity of Bar- Bard firing the uh, yes, bolt with absolutely. his long
1: bow absolutely. off which his, is actually, which is actually which is actually. <laughs> right up there for one of my favorite defying physical you know, the laws of physics yeah, moments. Yeah, that's which true, absolutely lightning rants. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Not yeah. bothered. I, I didn't but... even. I, I just suspended disbelief for that completely because it was just yep. such a cool thing. Um, so that was good. And there were moments in the film that I thought were good. I, you know, Jackson paid attention. I thought to a lot of Tolkien stuff. Um, um, uh, but I, when I walked out of the movie, my initial reaction, and I actually, I think I forget exactly when I texted Corey, but it was like, oh my. Uh, very intense, you know, I feel, I'm very tired, you know, it was just like, my first reaction was, I really do not want to go review, re-see this film (laughs) right away, which was not my reaction to the other two. I just, it was really intense, you know, and it gave, and I didn't know where I was at, I I didn't know where I was at, like, did I like it, did I not like it, I wasn't sure, you know, I just, it took me a while to mull it out. Um, So now, okay, so having mulled it over, and thinking about, you know, the movie more um, i I want to preface it by saying that throughout the trilogy, I feel like i 've been interacting as far as my view of Jackson and you know his vision and what he 's been creating I feel like i 've been interacting with a charming and precocious child, you know very amused by his antics, impressed by his creativity and his moments of genius, and up to now i 've been willing to overlook annoyances in his actions and behavior and the choices that he 's made i 've been able to kind of you know, say, okay, well I didn't really like that, but I can kind of get it and everything. Until now, um I'm not I am out of patience with him on so many counts. It's, it's as if this child believing that I'm now fully worn went over to the way he's doing things, can think he can pretty much do anything and I'm gonna tolerate it. Well, not so, Mr. Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> I, first of all, I think that Jackson Paid a lot of attention to Tolkien's story. I mean, think about all the little bits and pieces from the books that were in there. You know, even down to like Bilbo getting knocked out by the um, by the rock and saying the Eagles are coming. You know, I mean, it's just simple little things. The auction. You know, there's little bits and pieces, and he's done that all the way through the trilogy. You know, it's, I've been. I think we've mentioned this before. You know, we've been impressed by how much he's, he kept in the story. Unfortunately, he's not paid enough attention to his own story, and. For example, the Arkenstone, you know, the changes, and I know we've talked, you know, we've talked about this, it's like the expectations that we had of how he built up the Arkenstone in the previous movies did not come did not come to fruition in this movie. Um, something as simple as where's Dwallin? You know, I mean they go up to to, to Ravenhill and then Dwallin like disappears through the you know, all this other dramatic action and Dwallin's gone. But then we get into some of the more serious things, things like <clears throat> Thranduil's wife and Legolas's mother. Now there's a issue I have about the extended edition that I won't get to at this moment, but it's like if she's figures so prominently in Thranduil's change of heart at the end. Why and, and Legolas's issues? Why are we only hearing about her now? It's not like Thrandall necessarily had to say anything about her in previous movies, but Legolas could have like mentioned her to give like some idea that maybe there was some issue with his, you know, like he misses his mom kind of thing, to give more credence to that scene at the very end where he goes, "Legolas, your mother loved you." I mean, up until that point, we didn't even know Legolas had an issue with that. This is Jackson's story and Jackson needs to tell his story fully. Okay. The other one is the mountain being a strategic position for Angmar. Okay. Okay. If I go with this and go with okay, this is Jackson's story. I'm gonna ignore to- Tolkien for the moment and ignore geography. Yeah, go with this idea that the mountain's a strategic <laughs> ignore geography. Okay, why is this only being brought up now? It could <laughs> easily have been raised in the second movie. Or even in 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 an unexpected journey. For example, okay, I have the idea. High fells, Gandalf sees that the tombs are broken into, he turns to Radagast and goes, oh, the Witch King of Angmar, and Erebor is the gateway or something, <laughs> yes. and under his breath he goes, Dougal Door, Door, we must hurry, Radagast, okay? That's all he needed to say, and then we get this impression that he thinks it's the Witch King of Angmar, and he's That's actually in Angmar. Okay? To, like, less than a minute of film time. So, he's he's paid attention to Tolkien's story, but he hasn't paid attention to Jackson's story. <laughs> and that bothers me a lot. You know, it's like, okay, if you're going to make me just, you know, not, you know, get away from talking story, at least tell your own story. So that if I was at the, okay, now I'm going to get to the extended edition. Because if I was a person who didn't know the books and went to see the movies, I want you to tell your story, and I wanted the third movie to feel like your story actually makes sense. I, okay, here we go. I don't want to wait for the extended edition for the movie to make sense. That is ridiculous. I don't want to have to buy an expensive Hollywood b- book. And I certainly don't want to... And this is getting into, to stories, I don't want the freaking directors telling me what I should be thinking about the thing. It needs to stand on its own. And the theatrical release needs to stand on its own. What's in the extended edition should stay in the extended edition. He did it well with, with Thryan, Thrain, and The Ring. Okay, that was all extended edition stuff. Mm-hmm. Why are we getting the necklace of whatever, Las gallon in the theatrical release, nobody who's only seen the theatrical release will have any idea what that necklace was about. So I feel duped as <laughs> a consumer. True. I feel like I'm being conned. That I now have to go buy the extended edition, and boy, do I wish I could boycott. But you know I can't. I, I and I, that makes me even angrier. That now I have to. I know I'm going to have to buy the extended edition. I don't want to have a book, an expensive book, to explain to me that it's Thranduil's dead wife. Blah blah blah. I want the movie to stand on its own as Jackson's story it's you know I could even forgive deviations from Tolkien if Jackson would at least have completed his own story yeah. okay I'll take a breath now
0: <laughs> yeah it doesn't it that's that is that is a good point it's not like it even requires this isn't this isn't even like previous you know you know like watching Lord of the Rings the Lord of the Rings films people will ask me like what, who is this what's going on here and I'm like well if you read the books you'd know the blah 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 you know what I mean it's not even like well you know you just you kind of got to right, read the books to fill right. in those details. Now it's like, well, no, you got to read the the, the companion you novel. Go buy the, the Hobbit like, movie <laughs> guy. The visual yeah. companion book and, and that fills in these the details. And read the interviews with
1: Philippa Boyens and yeah. watch the extended editions of both movies before yeah. you can make sense of this one. I mean, come on, people. I I do you know
0: um, I do I agree with this that that point and and I think my wife. Um, I believe I seem to recall having this conversation with her about the previous films where it annoyed her as well. Like she detests this whole idea of extended editions that that they release a film in the theaters and then and then sit there and make comments like, well, that's not the real film. The real film's coming out soon. It's extended. I she, know. She hates that. It's just such.
1: So now I have to pay for the theater ticket. I have to pay yeah. for the book. I have to pay for the extended edition and I have to wait almost a year. Yeah. I mean, really? I You is know, this, it, what's, this is what Hollywood. What coming
0: to? I think I would have I'm tolerated, sorry. I think I'd tolerate more if they waited to release all the extended editions after the trilogy was done. But but um, right. the fact that it comes out so soon after, and maybe maybe you know I I'll I'll acknowledge Timothy Fisher's comment that I, this is one area where I could imagine maybe WB is put is is putting some pressure on on Jackson to you know maybe maybe they want to sell more DVDs so they you know and sell them sooner so they like putting out the extended edition maybe they worry that if you wait to release all of the extended editions. Um, after the initial, you know, after the whole trilogy finishes, fewer will sell. I don't know. I, I could imagine that playing a piece in this. But I agree with you, Trish. It is very annoying. It, it seems like an interference in our ability to enjoy the theatrical releases, the, the release of the extended editions, and not just the release of them, but like the heavy marketing of them, the, the fact that even before the film has come out, the filmmakers are already saying before we've even seen the I theatrical know, release, I you know, know, it's just now we're getting the world premieres They're doing interviews of Phil Williams and Peter Jackson. They're already saying like, oh, well, you know, you'll have to wait to the extended edition to get the full details. And it's like, give me a break. Why and am but, I going but to I'll watch even the go one back, in the theater? I'll
1: even go back to my other point, which is what was in the extended edition should stay in the extended edition. OK, like the necklace. The only way you would understand the scene with Thorin picking up that necklace, and I understand it follows right after to Thranduil, so you could kind of maybe make the connection, but the only way you'd really understand it is if you'd seen the extended edition of the first movie where the necklace is shown to Thranduil and then they do the pretty woman closing of the box on his hand kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, even the dragon sickness, you know, which they, which Elrond and Gandalf talked about in, in uh, a, An Unexpected Journey, you know, that's a precursor. But I think me, my feeling was if I hadn't seen that, I still could get... I still could get Thorne kind of going nuts, yeah. you know, uh, because they explain it. Yeah. Um, so the thing is, I felt like in the first two movies he did a good job of containing the extended edition so that what you ended up doing was getting kind of a – and same thing in Lord of the Rings. You got like an enhancement of the story, yeah. but, but you could go see the theatrical versions and still get it. Yeah. This one and I actually... didn't – third movie, I didn't, I didn't get that. At all. I didn't yeah. feel that way.
2: If I could interject briefly, I think the business about Thorin's madness in the extended edition of the first one undermines the rest of the story rather than enhances ah, it. The okay. idea that there is some that's kind of congenital point, madness in the line of Durin oh, yeah. absolutely undermines right. the dragon sickness angle that okay. uh, the th- the second and third film are going for. Yeah. I thought that was, I, I suspected yeah. that of being nonsensical when I first saw it. and now fully convinced that it's nonsensical. Yeah. Um. Well, and, you know, uh, it's just like yeah. I, this. That's like a consistent thing with a lot of threads in this film. The
0: Arkenstone, another example. Oh man, we're going out of we're spiraling out of control now. But um, but you're right, Corey. <laughs> like there are multiple things like that where. It seems it almost it seems like they're confused, like they're not sure what they're doing, which which story yes. we're trying to tell. Like I, and and they don't remember
1: what they did before.
0: <laughs> yeah. When you you know talk about retcon, it's like
1: was two years ago, I don't remember what we did. The,
0: the <laughs> amount of retconning that they're doing puts Tolkien to shame. Actually, no, I, I take that back. Uh, they don't their retconning doesn't put Tolkien to shame. Their retconning shows what a master retconner Tolkien was because Tolkien their retconning was, yes, is exactly. absolutely nonsensical, yeah. inconsistent. Um, No amount of extended edition is going to clear it up because you can't undo things you said in the previous films.
2: No. Um, And this is where, you know, um, I guess two things that I would say here. The first thing that I would say is, uh, you know, like the unfortunate thing to say about all this is that this is bad writing. You know, I mean, it's yeah. bad storytelling. I, I mean, it's just there are no two ways about that. Um, it's, yeah. it's, it's inconsistent. It doesn't hold together. Now, the second thing that I would say is many of you might be saying, well, hang on, guys. Like, you know, you guys have been defending this all along. You know, you guys have listened to, you know, those of you who have been listening to Riddles in the Dark have been listening to me in particular talk about how, like, evocative and interesting I think that the story is. And that's true. And does it sound like i 'm now just like some suddenly coming around and reversing myself? No, the reason is with the with the coming out of the third movie, we now have the full story and can now judge the full story that Peter Jackson right. is telling and at the at, at the end of the second movie, there were many things that I was still saying, and I still believe, going back to the first and second film, I would still say these ideas that are there, these ideas which come out in the first two films, are richly suggestive, and there's a lot of potential there. But at the end of the third mm-hmm. film, there is no more room for discussion of potential. Now we have to have actuality. We have to discuss what is really there. And unfortunately, after the third film... The actuality does not live up to the potential in almost any of those elements. I mean, almost any of those story elements that I really like. There are very right. few of the story elements that were originally interesting and suggesting that they've actually successfully followed through on. Yeah. There are a couple. There are a couple things that I like and that I think they brought together well. Um, I mean, like one that I would mention that uh, that I mentioned the other night, but uh, but just to throw something into this category, I really liked the Bilbo's return to Bag End, and in particular oh, yeah. that scene when he's walking slowly through the exact same rooms he walked slowly through in the first film, yeah. and you know the way that that brought to a close in a really complicated way. I thought a really mm-hmm. interesting way the whole Took versus Baggins thing. Um, it really. You know, in many ways, I think that the um, the film manages to put more uh, attention and more interesting attention onto the the journey home. Uh, that that chapter, by the way, is the one chapter in The Hobbit I've always wished was longer, um, because in the book we just, you know, for all of the <clears throat> for all of the you know the way that he does, you know, such interesting things with the token bag and stuff throughout The Hobbit, um, the end is quick and um and uh, more is more is implied than is said and that's fine i mean that works okay in the book um but i thought the way that that happened in the film is great so again it's not like every element in it was a complete failure and every part of the story that he st- and that he failed to finish to bring to a conclusion any f- you know part of the story that he begun that's not true and i wouldn't say- but more than not uh and and again so when i when i now have to look back at all three you know, at this full story that Peter Jackson has said, and I think Trish is very right when, when in em- emphasizing thinking about Jackson's story, not just its relationship to Tolkien's story, but the actual story told on its own. And I agree, that is where it seems to me the biggest failure. Um, it's, it's, uh, it it does not hold well, inter- hold together well internally.
0: Yeah, that is, th- that's an interesting point, Trish. Uh, um, the idea that that he paid closer attention to the books than he did to his own story. I know. I, who would have ever imagined know, that know, would be the we've accusation? Been
1: saying all along, I know. Haven't we been saying all along we've been surprised at how close to this, you know, Tolkien story he came? And then it's like, well, I know what's bothering me. He didn't you know he didn't put the same attention on his own story. It's just so yeah, I mean, back to what Corey was saying. It's like I've been, I've been, you know, I've been tolerating this, this, you know, wonderkin child for two years, you know, waiting to see what this, you know, his creation is going to be, and now I'm just out of patience with him.
0: <laughs> do you? Uh, yeah. I, I just out I, of curiosity, do you guys think? Because, because uh, there's several hypotheses for. So I think it's undeniable that that some that the writing got a little out of control um and i think some of this can be blamed on on the the, the sort of you know um, mid midway through change from two films to three um but the writing got a little scattered um some storylines kind of spiraled out of control they kind of do, clearly changed their minds about some things was they were making the, the second and third films apparently. Um, uh, and there's 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 two potential hypotheses for these the the ones that that some folks who are who are more inclined to defend the films and Peter Jackson in particular uh, are making is it's the studio interference we the studio is interfering the studio is making them cut things telling them to make the movie shorter the studio apparently you know um, maybe felt like oh you need to put you need more action you need to remove some of these stupid details which I don't, I don't buy that by the way because otherwise i don't understand why we'd be visiting gundabad and talking about angmar and all that there's no way studio the studio execs understood what any of that was um but that's one hypothesis the other hypothesis is the complete opposite which is Peter Jackson is unchecked he's become George Lucas that he's a victim of his own success he's at the point now where anything that he and he and Philip Boyens and Fram Walsh decide to throw in the script and make and shoot everybody's like yeah yeah that'll be great yeah we can do that let's shoot it you know and there's nobody sitting there saying what on earth is this what is going on here in this what is on page fifty um, two i this makes no sense Peter you can't make this film come on now um yeah. that, that he didn't have he didn't have some pressure and some checks and balances to keep him in check i I'm inclined to think that's what happened. There, you know, this, of course, we're straying into Critfic. We really don't know whether any of these things happened. Completely, um, yeah, absolutely. This but, is, that's
2: like this is this is that's like the textbook definition of kredfic. Yeah, but it makes and, you know, me I'm wonder. I'm not
1: buying. I'm not. I, I'm not buying the the split of the movie from two to three. That happened at mid first year. Well he was he still had actors on the ground, he still had i mean it, it, it wasn't like he'd made the first movie or the second movie and all of a sudden, "Oh my gosh, we're going to have a third it was, it was not a big surprise it was like early in the process, so I don't buy that as a reason for this uh, this
2: Well uh, and for me, I don't care um, I don't care <laughs> yeah why. that's it true could be right. any reason. <laughs> like, a team of aliens could have true. teleported in and changed the script. I don't care. The, all that I care about. You want to comment on the, the story
0: at the the um,
2: I mean, and, and the thing is, I, it's hard. I don't want I to. I mean, I know, especially people who are really into, you know, like the Hollywood scene. You know, people who who are into movies as a thing and are interested not just in this film and in this story that this film is telling, but in the business, but is in like. The whole process of the business of Hollywood, and is interested in this as a data point in that larger question. For yeah, for, for yeah. people who are interested in that as like a sort of a, a, a cultural or sociological phenomenon or, or or whatever, that's fine. These questions are relevant to me. These questions are utterly ir- irrelevant. I don't I don't care why yeah, there are thousands yeah, right. why uh, works of arts fail. Um, but uh, anyway. Um, that was getting a weird feedback I don't know what there. the heck that was yeah um
0: me so anyway, i 'm gonna um, steer this in a yes. slightly different yeah. direction if you don 't mind uh i 'm gonna yes, i 'm gonna briefly do my review and um i 'm gonna i 'm gonna throw folks a bone uh and and uh, give them a um a uh some relief from the relentless bashing um which I expected to be coming from me and i and I have participated in it but <laughs> um so uh, I watched this film in uh, in at the tail end of a trip to China and Hong Kong. I watched it at the airport uh, um, Regal Theater, United Artists Theater in um, uh, at the Hong Kong Airport, uh, with not a huge crowd. So I didn't get to sort of sit in there with a bunch of people in in likeless costumes and stuff, which was a little disappointing. But you know, it is what it is. Um, and uh, I got to see it three D IMAX, which was gorgeous. The visuals are just incredible. And that the initial scene, um uh the I, I love the fact that they went directly into um uh Smaug's attack on Lake Town. I, I personally feel that the first twenty to thirty minutes of the film and the last twenty to thirty minutes of the film are, are some of the best stuff in the film and and indeed in the whole trilogy. Um of course, I love the auction. I mean, come on. But yeah. I thought Sma- Smaug's attack was was super well done. Yeah, there's a, there's some absurd yeah. details. Um, uh But but uh, those things they didn't really bother me. It was just beautiful. It was uh, it was it was it was terrible. It was you know a horrifying attack. It's way more. It makes you know it's way scarier than in the book. And I liked yes. I liked Bard's participation. I liked the fact that the dragon confronted Bard. I thought it would have been cool if if the dragon sort of, I, I thought it'd been cool. If Smaug had sort of identified like, Hey, you look like that Garion guy. Um, <laughs> I, I love the fact that Bane, um, that Bane, you know, we speculated, we were like, what if Bane shoots the dragon? Well, he didn't shoot the dragon, right. but he was instrumental. I thought that was great. Um,
2: Clearly uh, an assist, right? I mean, you yeah. have to give him an assist on
0: that. Yeah. No.
1: Yeah. In fact, Plus, let's go back. Let's go back one. I Loved bard's escape from prison
0: oh yeah that was pretty cool too <laughs> that was pretty did, they, cool. did that actually kill the master i couldn't figure that out uh, no it seemed to damage him however oh, the dragon
1: the dragon falling on him yeah I the guess... dragon falling on him is what killed so, him.
0: that's what finished him off okay
1: Which so i, I actually like that too
0: yeah so that was a great sequence um the middle part is where it went a little off like i honestly for all the kind of cool special effects of the um of the 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 Battle of Dol Guldur, did not like it in the end. Like I just like I I just just rewatched it in the background as we're podcasting. I'm like, God, this looks like a video game. I don't like it. Um,
2: what the 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 Nazgul stuff? Yeah, the
0: Nazgul yeah. zapping around It's you know just like, ah, and I and 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 just you know, it looks so hokey. And I I I have I have another beef with this, which we're gonna get into the lightning round. But anyway, I I I just didn't. I felt like. It felt Star. Actually, multiple moments throughout the film to me felt Star Wars prequel-ish. where you have you have a confrontation or a moment that should have. It's the Anakin Skywalker versus Obi Wan lightsaber battle all over again, which that should have been the most serious and and you know had had the most gravitas of all Star Wars moments, except maybe end of Return of the Jedi. You know, it's the pivotal moment in Darth Vader. And and at the end, and you watch it, and you're just like, there's nothing. There's just nothing. It, it's a, it, between the slipshod acting and the just, you know, over-choreographed nature of the fight, the fact that they're both using blue lightsabers and you can't distinguish them, and, you know, the absurdity of Obi-Wan talking about the high ground. You know, you just, at the end of the scene, you're like, that was utterly devoid of emotion and gravitas. And, like, it was just a special effects crazy fest. I felt like there were parts of this film that were exactly the same way, where something should have been a really wonderful, serious moment. And, and and I personally believe, had it been made in the era of Lord of the Rings, where the special effects weren't quite so powerful, and where you know they didn't have quite as much carte blanche, I personally think they would have done it better. Um, but in this case they just went out of control with the special effects and and it and and the and the emotional core wasn't there. And I felt like there were multiple points like that throughout the film, especially during the middle. Um in the end though, I enjoyed the film. I don't like it, I don't think it's great. It's not something I feel anxious to watch and rewatch. Just like the Lord of the Rings, I don't think any of these films, quite frankly, any of these Peter Jackson films, are things that I feel compelled to go back and and rewatch once a year. You know, f- like fun things. I I like watching them with other people, especially if they'll tolerate me making comments. But I I, I don't feel like it's not a film I love to watch. However, I enjoyed it. The moments that are good are so good. Thorin's death scene, even though I didn't really like the fact – I would have preferred he died in the actual battle. I love that – the scene with him and Bilbo, they nailed it. I, you I know what I really well liked? Um, I really liked their tweak of Thorin's line. I actually thought that was brilliant. Um, uh, and and that, was in, that was a case where they um, – you know, where he says if more people loved home instead of yes. pots of gold. It yes. was, that's an example where they actually called back to themes from the first film. You know that they, exactly. they did consistently. You're yes. like, hey, good job! Wow, you were paying attention when you were writing your scripts. <laughs> um, at wasted moments. Yeah. Yes, I I um uh I so I love I enjoyed that. Uh, I thought that was great. And 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 my overwhelming feeling walking out of the film was. Not satisfaction with the film as a product, but satisfaction with the overall experience of, like, you know, you know I enjoyed it. I had fun. They gave me enough good moments that I wasn't disgusted. I was uh, – unlike – I think you mentioned, Corey, that you – um, well wait i can 't remember which one it is if it was desolation or this one that you said as you watched it you 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 know you just kind of enjoyed it, and it wasn 't until you went back and thought that it really bothered you i from from moment one was was hyper aware like the things that bothered me, I was noticing in them pretty early I, I never liked the way they handled th- um, thorin 's madness but the there were enough good, really strong moments that I really liked uh, scattered throughout that i, I you know i didn 't i wasn 't overwhelmed by D- uh, disappointment throughout the film. Um, uh, I I'm ambivalent. I actually I don't feel negative towards it. I I just feel ambivalence. Like I like the project. I'm glad they made the films. And I I just but I acknowledge parts of it failed. I don't care what they say in their interviews. I don't care what's in the extended edition. There there there's going to be parts of the film. Lots of parts of the film just didn't work. You know you know it's, it's not a hundred percent success. Uh, you know I, I think we got to admit that. It doesn't make me any less of a fan, and um, and I'm not saying Peter Jackson's a bad person or the film shouldn't have been made. Like, you know, they, they tried, they did their best, and uh, they made parts of it just didn't work sometimes. That's the way it goes. But I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the experience. I'm glad I saw it. Um, I wish I had gotten to see it with you guys um, or or <laughs> some other Tolkien fans I knew. But, um, but I enjoyed it, and walking out of the feeling, I, I actually really, like, I, I felt good about the ending, especially, so...
2: Well, for me, my sort of short review or, <clears throat> or sort of short response is going to take the form of what is going to sound like a paradox or a joke, uh, I think, to a lot of people, but I genuinely believe that it is true. I think that the biggest problem with the third film was that they didn't deviate from the book enough. They stuck too, There were too many places. If you think about several of the things that just don't work that well in this, in this film, or things that, le- that, that led to serious issues, uh, at, at the root of a lot of them is following closely the plot line that the book gives. The biggest example that I would point to is Thorin's delay before charging out into the battle. Now, that's necessitated by following the book yes the events of the book are that most of this battle happens and then at the last second thorin charges out now in the book narrative tolkien doesn't just leaves leaves thorin behind this is made easier by the fact that bilbo who is his primary character is not inside the mountain so we never get any kind of point of view shot of what's going on inside the Lonely Mountain during the first half of the battle. We don't know, and what's more, the narrative discourages us from even asking the question, what's going on? Um, in in fact, like the way, one of the ways that the eucatast the, y-catast- the charge of final charge of Thorin, one of the things that makes it so effective is the way that the narrative, by a kind of sleight of hand, encourages us to forget about Thorin, something which is emphasized by the fact that uh, the narrator draws our attention to the fact that everybody else had forgotten Thorin. They had forgotten Thorin, he says, as he comes charging out. Um, and we have forgotten Thorin, and that's okay. That works. It's As I say, from a, n- a narrative standpoint, it's a kind of sleight of hand. It's a very effective one in the book. But you can't do that in the films. You can't ask, had they just never shown anything going on inside the mountains? Right, they had the the scene with the handing over the Ark and Stone, and then Dan shows up, and then the orcs attack, and then things are going on, and then all of a sudden Thorin comes charging out. Mm-hmm. Like throughout that whole time, I mean, that would have been what forty five minutes, an hour of film time that we would not have, never have seen what was going. We don't know what Thorin was doing. We don't care what Thorin is doing. And then all of a sudden, having having last seen him, you know off his head, uh, threatening to throw Bilbo off the wall, we now see him charging out, saying, to me, my kinsmen, to me, elves and men, like he does in the book. That would have been, I mean, imagine how people would have been squawking about that, right? Like, oh, that's totally unbelievable. Like, we just, you know, we last saw him, you know, in the grip of this madness, and you expect us to believe that, and now all of a sudden it's just gone? Well, yeah, in the book, it's just gone. That's how it happens in the book. So, Jackson... Couldn't just do it like that. He couldn't make Thorin disappear. That like his 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 medium, you know, the the medium of this story insists upon giving us the inside of the mountain. Not because we can't forget about it for that long. Um, it only takes a few minutes to read the chapter in the book. It takes an, it takes an hour to watch the film version of the battle. That's not a criticism of how he did the battle. That is a natural consequence of putting it on screen instead of telling us about it. Because it takes a lot longer. It takes two sentences to mm-hmm. tell us about the progress of what happens in a battle over the course of an hour. Um, you, know, you can't do that on screen. Anyway, so, um, so, so, so the book gives us this gap of time, right? Mm-hmm. So Thorin and company are in the mountain and doing nothing for the majority of the battle. Why? What's going on in their heads? And what's more, more importantly, in the character of Thorin, Thorin is having his turning point. When he, I've said many times, and i said in my book, when Thorin charges out of the mountain, I believe he is redeemed at that point. he has made, He has turned away from the dragon sickness. That charge shows, and what he says during the charge and his sacrifice of his life demonstrates his turning away from that. But the interiority of that, the process, the internal process by which Thorin Turns away from his madness at the gate to his sacrifice and his charge happens completely off screen, so Jackson makes the choice which is in many ways, which is very sensible considering the kind of character that he's made into Thorin to have that happen on screen. But he still needs an ex- he still needs to justify some if he's going to stick with it if he's if he's if he's going to stick with the plot as Tolkien gave it which he does in that set in that way he has to give some reason why Thorin doesn't charge out and fight, and it doesn't work. No. It's inconsistent. It creates an inconsistency in Jackson's own story. Trish, like you were saying before, he sticks to Tolkien's story but doesn't stick to his own story. The, the, The... the, like, my kinsmen are here, but I don't really care. I'm just going to stay and let them fight. <laughs> that concept is not in keeping with his madness. I mean, like, even if he, it's, it's not saying, like, oh, but Thorin is mad. That's why he doesn't fight. No, that's not with the direction his madness was going. You know, I mean, Thorin, if Thorin was to be consistently mad, if, if he's going to act wrongly, because of his madness, his wrong action would be to charge out and try to wrest the this, the Arkenstone from Bard's hands there and then. Like, that's what his... Not sit around and do nothing. Um, you know, so... So basically, he creates this situation where he has to find some way to justify Thorin staying in, and it's inconsistent with the rest of his story. What would have been better? What would have, how, how would his story have been better served? To deviate from what Tolkien's story yeah. said. I yeah, would I not right. have had Thorin stay in the mountain. In, yeah. Under these circumstances, I mean, again, if, if, if you just sort of wrote the script up to that point and said what should happen next, I would say whatever you do, don't make Thorin just stay in. We can try to retain the eucatastrophe of his charge. You know, we can, you know that I, 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 I obviously, I mean, you know, you guys all know that I, you know, would not want uh, a, 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 a plot choice to be made which deaccentuates his charge out into the battle and the significance of that. Mm -hmm. But you don't have to include that long delay. It could have been done otherwise had they been less slavish to the plot of the book. And they are slavish to the plot of the book, to the detriment of their own story, as Trish says, in many places. Um, So again, had they been willing... Just to leave more of it aside just to 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 do their own thing um, and and follow their own story, even you know and, and again, and here I think it's just you know in that sense it's poor adaptation they haven't thought through you know they've done a lot of thinking about tolkien's story, and they 've been very careful to include a lot of things, but the integration of the elements from Tolkien's story that they are keeping with the story that they are telling is done very clumsily, and nowhere was that clearer than in this third film.
0: Yeah, that's true. I'm not. I'm not sure. You know, I think what we're going to have to do is do a, a a podcast sometime down the road where it's how would we have done it? Like you know, like. Right. I guess that's what this podcast is really the last 3 years has been how would we do it but actually it's not entirely yeah. true it's a lot of times it's been how do we think they'll do it uh, although we well, frequently and,
2: and, and it's been constrained by their framework you know yes. I mean it's it's I mean even like during this past year when we've been speculating about the third film and I made my you know my decision early on mm-hmm. season 3 that I was going to decide not what I thought was likely but what would be awesome mm-hmm. still the 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 framework of the what would be awesome is what would be awesome in the third Peter Jackson film, right? Given what has come before in the first two films, you know, so there's there's been that, that, uh, you know, sort of constraint... I I even
0: think, I actually think, I think his films are pretty salvageable. I think there's just like just some patches here and there and some like things I would change, you know, like I, I'm not sure how he would handle the Thorin, um, Thorin actually, but let's, uh, let's leave that for some, some more in-depth analysis, uh, down the road or, or we can just transition. Do either you guys want to share any more review, big picture review type stuff, like how you felt coming out of the film, um, your overall experience, uh, that kind of stuff. What the audience was like. Did you feel like people enjoyed it? Either you want to do that, or should we just go straight into more, into analysis, analysis?
2: I was, I was, uh, um, my own, like, how I felt when I came out of the theater was numb. Um, and I don't even <laughs> really understand why. I actually enjoyed the, um, the, uh I actually enjoyed the film. Um, I enjoyed the experience of watching it more than I did, I think, any of the other two. But at the end, I was just, I, I was just like, I just went home and went to bed. I mean, like, I was, I was completely numb. Uh, and, you know, part of it was just sort of trying to process this. And, but, and, I, and I think, in retrospect, I think the main thing is, is the stuff I've been talking about here today. The fact that, n- basically, the job of responding to the third film is a much bigger job than the job of responding to either of the other two films. Mm-hmm. Um, because now we have to basically... you know, it, When it's the last film, you have to answer two questions, and they're not anything like the same question. The first question is, what did you think of this third film as a film on its own? You know, how, What did I think of this as an installment of The Hobbit story? But of course, we must also ask, now what do we think about The Hobbit story as a whole? You know, now... So, in other words, what do I think about this conclusion, not just as a film, but as the end point now of the entire larger story? Um, and so I think in part it was just like trying to process on, you know, several different levels all that stuff mm-hmm. that left me just feeling kind of stunned uh, at, at the end of this. But, um, yeah. Tr-
0: Trish, uh, do we still have Trish with us or do we lose her somehow? I think she's
2: still here. We got you, Trish. <laughs> Trish didn't just like perish utterly. <laughs> Did Trish swoon?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm cu- what I'm curious to know from her is is uh, 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 her uh, the the her, her 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 fairly vehement reaction is this was this. Um, visceral as she was watching the film or as she walked out of it or you know like i kind of kind of got the sense from from the pre-show discussion that this was that this was more based on contemplation as she was making notes and stuff that she worked herself up into a, a lather um but yeah. uh, anyway we'll 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 follow up with her about that um why don't we why don't we transition directly into more in-depth discussion, and since we were just talking about it, let's do let's do Thorin's dragon sickness. Okay. I'm going to propose that. Um, okay, that that was I would say I would say apart from apart from um, uh, Thranduil's uh, incurable jerkiness. Uh, I would say Thorin's madness was one of the things that drove me most, you know, that I felt least worked. And Thranduil's incurable jerkiness has been partially rehabilitated for me by reading Michael Drought's uh, blog post. So I I really didn't think... Well, okay, I, I had mixed feelings about it. On the whole, I didn't like the way they portrayed it. I didn't like... I sort of agree with what Michael Drought says about it, which is it's the way the book did it is enough. Um, uh, Just showing him being, showing him being just, you know, driven entirely by greed, a reluctance to give up his treasure, um, and, and and you know, being um, obstinate on that point is enough. I don't think I needed to see him actually try to throw Bilbo off the wall. I didn't need to see him, like, sort of rolling his eyes and kind of staggering around, kind of crazy. I didn't need to see him uh, uh, threaten to kill Dwalin, like, and, and I And I really didn't uh, uh, think that the whole drowning in gold scene worked. Uh, I just felt like it felt cornball to me. It felt goofy and weird. Uh, I really didn't like it. On the other hand, parts of it I thought really worked. I felt like if you really wanted to go the route of the dragon sickness, you really wanted to show, hey, there's dragon sickness, I thought having him... Uh, re- recite quotes directly out of Smaug's mouth from the previous film, *The Bilbo*. Was kind of a cool, neat idea, and you know, and overlaying a little bit of the, the Benedict Cumberbatch voice was kind of interesting. Uh, that that felt cornball again. Um, and and uh, and and my negative my negative feelings about the madness were almost entirely forgotten when they had the scene where he's walking out of the sun up to the other dwarves, and he's shed his kingly garb for his tra- yeah. Thorn Oakenshield travel garb. I was like, oh, yeah, I like that. That's pretty cool. <laughs> and then the charge, of course, was great. I, yeah. I think I agree with you that I think leaving them, they left them in the mountain too long. I don't think that it worked. I th- I, I, I wonder if there would have been a way to put him in the field with the other dwarf army and, and still go through this process and have his come-to-Jesus moment because um, I felt like they lingered way too long in the mountain. Like, it just defied... It just defied common sense. Uh you know, it that's one of those cases where when in the book you just leave him in there, uh leave and they don't come out, you, you kinda don't pay that close attention to, right. to what yeah, happened. No, when you show here's what they're doing and you realize they're just sitting around while the dwarves are fighting goblins, you're like, Come on <laughs> It makes no sense. Well,
1: and and, especially since they got all armored up. You know, yeah. they got all armored up. Yeah, they're ready for and battle. Then
0: and then he's like <laughs> Nah, we're not going to go to battle. Yeah, I don't know how I would have handled, it, but I, I just felt like what they did didn't work. And in particular, in particular, if they were going to do that, I prefer that Thorin not be dra- uh, drunkenly staggering around and like swinging his sword at Dwalin and like I just, I just every time that he was on scene behaving that way, I was like, oh god, it's so, so cornball, it's so weird. I, I didn't like that. I liked. I liked his rehabilitation; those moments were awesome. But the build-up to it was just goofy. So that's that's the my one, kind
2: of. The one Thorin being mad. Well, okay, two. There are two things that I liked. Mm-hmm. Um, like I guess there, there there are two things I would attempt to salvage from all of the scenes you want to throw away. <laughs> uh, and one is I really liked the conversation with Bilbo. Um, the oh, one where he yeah. takes Bilbo aside and and you know admits that he thinks that one of the dwarves is you know. Is is unfaithful and 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 Bilbo tries to talk to him and 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 that leads up to that moment that we saw in the trailer with the two of them standing on either side and the dwarves in armor coming through. Um, I like that scene. That was that was the only. one... I mean, I agree with you. I could have done without. Uh, I mean, I I, I kind of I liked Dwalin's moment though. I agree with you. I didn't like Thorin's half of 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 Dwalin's moment, um, but I did like that one scene with Bilbo also. Although I didn't like, uh, I, although I, I would certainly, I would, I would agree with you in chucking out the, like, psychedelic I'm falling into the, into the pool of gold mm-hmm. thing, um, I liked the mere return to that room. Um, you know, his returning to the room and standing on the golden floor. Um, esp- the way that that... T- see, that was another one of those moments where I was like, hey, this is good Peter Jackson storytelling. This is like a moment when he actually is picking up on one of the really interesting right, right, and right. thoughtful ideas that he put forward in the second film. That's I mean, true. as you guys know, you know, despite uh, many people rolling their eyes at me for doing it, I defended and would still defend the Statue of Gold scene at the end of The Desolation of Smaug. Yeah. I really, you know... Corny and un and, and wildly improbable slash physically impossible as it is, symbolically it worked. I loved it, um, and I, so I loved. <laughs> and then of course
0: that. it was great. And then Peter Jackson's like you know what we could do with this? We could to you know, we have this new computer program that likes us. We can take this gold surface and stretch <laughs> it into, like, a vortex and send him in into it. And that's like, oh, no. You could have yeah. just had him stand there and contemplate it. And even the hint of the dragon shadow was kind of cool. That Yeah, I mean,
2: that was, like, uh, that was already, yeah. like, that was, like, toes on the precipice. Yeah. Right. I mean, I was like, "That's almost too much," but I'm okay. I'm still with it. But you're right. Yeah, the vortex. It was. It was that was over the edge. Yeah. (laughs) Um, um, and,
1: did you get yeah. the sense? Oh, by the way, you guys, By the way, you guys. I got a text from Warner Brothers, um, and they said that they were cutting off my microphone because they didn't like what I said. Yeah, okay, right, <laughs> that's yeah, why you lost it. Right. Yeah.
2: If I was going to speculate about <laughs> the reasons for um, that, you it, know, was it pressure from the studios this is, that led to the situation? That's just how, how powerful are. This, this is what,
1: they,
0: what the they studios coming coming have learned.
1: They said, we're sorry, but we don't like what you said.
0: Yeah, this is what the studios have learned from the Sony thing. They now have their own army of hackers. And they're That's right. they're attacking their critics. <laughs> Trish is the first of many to come
1: listen, did, did you get the sense in that in that conversation with Bilbo and Thorin there was the hint that Bilbo that Thorin snapped out of his madness while he was talking to Bilbo and you, I got the sense that if they could have continued the conversation? Bilbo may have been instrumental in in getting him sort of out of it, but then they got interrupted. Now it I don't know if that was possible. like a yeah. thing.
2: Yeah, no, say. I mean I think it's it's, but that's yeah. that's yeah. the really that's what made that moment to me really really good because it was, and and, and not to mention it was it was the plausible kind of madness, you know, like. To see like somebody who's been really, really fixated on something for like days and weeks in a row and, you know and like for them to be like developing these paranoid ideas and sort of speaking furtively like that was it was that was believable to me, um, and I did like the fact that it did seem to be a moment of real crisis, like some you know or even potentially a moment of real tragedy, um, you yeah. know when something yeah. might have happened when something could have changed um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um,
0: somebody. Let's see who was suggesting this. I think it's uh, Crispin Hill was saying he would have liked something like uh, having Thorin standing maybe on the gate. With, maybe maybe Dwalin says in in the conversation of you have not you 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 cannot see what you have become, dragging right. him out to the gate and showing him the field and showing him right. like his his um you know the Iron Hills dwarves uh, corpses and piles. Maybe something like that might have been interesting. Might have worked better. I, I'm not sure. I, I, you know, I actually I hadn't thought much about the. I had just I had just categorized the entire gold gold room scene as as cornball and dumb. But you're right. I do now that I think about it. I I think actually him standing and staring at it and bringing that yes. back to the desolation of Smaug did work. But at the same time, there is part of me right. that thinks some connection to the battle. <laughs> going on outside would have been nice too <laughs> yeah no well
2: exactly i mean this is why well, and think, the other
1: thing uh,
2: yeah i don't know i don't know i mean it's, it's hard because basically i mean the other thing both, think
1: right?
2: about it oh no trish is lagging
0: i was
1: gonna i was gonna say i mean...
2: yeah oh <laughs> go, go ahead trish <laughs> How Go ahead. Now? can you hear me now <clears throat> oh yeah. i can hear you yeah
1: um the other thing is Think about it, Thorin didn't stay in the battle for very long because then he goes up to Ravenhill. That's the other piece for me. What, you know, could, yeah, I I, know, I understand like... the mano a mano thing with, with Azog, but could it not have been like in a little like cul-de-sac off, off the main the battle. battle? I mean, could we have seen them in battle a la Azanulbazar a little bit, you know? Yeah. And I, I again, you know, Azog is the general of his armies. By the way, little deviation here. How did they get that sword on his arm? Could that have been painful for him? And, and when do they sharpen it? Before they put it in or after they install it? Oh, no, you no,
2: you can totally On sharpen Azo. that. I, no, I, I love the idea of, I mean, as I was saying, you know, for the last few I episodes. I liked it. I, was just, I love the idea I was, of Azog having multiple attachments for his arm. You know, I would love to see him yes, you know, exactly. with, like, a, fiddling you know, with, with, it. Like, well, no, I mean. I was, I was just kind of, like, giggling. I would like to see the full array of attachments. I mean, like, does he have domestic attachment for uh, around the house, too? Does he have, like, a, like, like an extendable uh, chandelier-dusting attachment for instance? And, his, an, and, uh, a, and have... an egg beater? <laughs> yeah, okay, so, okay, like well, a, a pancake I flipper. Was kinda I was kind of laughing
1: to myself. I was laughing to myself because I could see the orcs going, okay, I, who's going to put the thing in his arm? Are you going to do it? I'm not going to do it. I'm not going <laughs> to right, do. Yeah, do it. Exactly. I'm not going to do it. You know, I mean, it's like, no, I have no, anyway, yeah, but the thing th- is, I would have liked to see because Thorin, even, like Dave, you were saying, you know, before the battle, I mean, you know, before he entered the battle, and then a- he he never was, the only time he was really in the battle was when he hugged, um, Diane, and then the magic, the, th- the ram magically appeared and he rode off. I mean, right. I-, I would have liked to have seen him actually in the in the throw bat a little bit more. Yeah. Also um, yeah, you know, you know uh,
0: connecting that, that to Thorin's Thorin's madness. The mad, suspicious, um, paranoid Thorin we see on the uh in, in throughout the 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 in mountain sequences, man, there's no way he would see an army of dwarves showing up to the mountain as like, oh thank God, dines here um, my relative, who could be a potential rival for the throne, has shown up with his own army. There's no way he'd be like, "Oh, good." He'd be like, "Oh no! Yet another, you know, person to usurp my treasure." Like he's Warby suspecting betrayers. his, yeah, he's suspecting right. his own friends and con- like the dwarves in the mountain with him are the only people who were willing to to go on his quest with them and help him. Like, like Dain got the summons and said, "No thanks, I'm not going to help you." Um. Uh, and Thorin's suspicious of the guys that have been helping him all along, and then Dine shows up after he's already got the treasure, there's no way that the crazy Thorin would be like, oh, good, I'm really glad <laughs> that Jerk, who wouldn't help me before, now that the treasure's available, he's here. He would totally think, yeah, he's going to take it from me. He's got an army. And and actually, you know, given the mechanism hey, of the I, dragon I, I, sickness, I think probably if you put Dain the, in the mountain with his army with Thorin... Pretty sure Dain would probably would take the the treasure from him.
1: <laughs> Maybe. Hey, I want to shift to Dale. I, I I wanted to get I wanted to get a point in about Dale that I want to see if you guys saw this as well. Did it was it not not very evocative? I I, I so strongly got the Gandalf Bilbo Dale juxtaposed over the Gandalf Pippin Minas Tirith. I, I that parallel was really strong for me. Did, mm-hmm. did that strike you at all?
2: I mean. I, I you mentioned it to me before and as soon as you did, I was like, Yeah, I mean I, I can I can really see that. Um a lot of those parallels are kind of superficial, of course. You know, that is, like, you've got Gandalf plus Hobbit, plus out-of-place Hobbit in a city, in, a in, a, in you know, in, like, a stone city of men while a battle's going on. You know, so, like, there are a lot of, sort of, superficial uh, things, which suggest the we connection.
1: So, didn't we also have, like, a philosophical conversation between Gandalf and Bilbo in the middle of it all? It not like
2: quite did. as, not quite as much as... Not as in philosophical them, as death. Though, <laughs> though, again, well... No, you're going to be started on that. Well, I mean, like the whole... (laughs) (sighs) To me, the Gandalf-Pippin conversation in Minas Tirith is one of the classic illustrations of how much more carefully they're dealing with Tolkien's books in the Hobbit films than in the Lord of the Rings films. Yes. Um, Because the, like, fundamental misunderstandings that are propagated in Gandalf's discussion with Pippin, which uh, which I find really annoying, um, are... uh, um I, I, it's is 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 exactly the kind of thing they just don't do in the hobbit films um but uh but no, i don't know i mean i'd have to it's it's hard i still have only seen the film once so you know i'd have to um i'm sure there are a lot of things that i would think about more and i i think i, I would i would want to think about that more when i was watching it again um it didn't jump out at me um when i was watching the film so yeah um, Sure well, that. you know,
1: and if you remember in Desolation of Smog, in Desolation of Smog, the one that jumped out at me too was when Sauron plastered Gandalf up against the wall, which was very similar to, you know, the scene with Saruman in, in Orthanc. in Russian. Right. I kinda wonder so, if that's
0: you know. less a matter of them, you know, uh intentionally doing callbacks and more them having uh, a, quiver, not, a quiver a quiver
1: of I'm not of... I'm not crit-ficking here. Oh, yeah. I'm giving my impression. Oh, you're just wondering if it, it connected?
0: Yeah. I I saw it. No, I'm giving I, my
1: impression I, as a viewer.
0: Yeah, I, I I see I I see things like that and I guess maybe I am crit-ficking, but I see that and I just think that's just they have a they have a quiver of arrows that are their devices they use to make films and things they do on screen and and it's not surprising to see that they reuse you know things that they that worked from Lord of the Rings, um, whether intentionally or unintentionally I would guess unintentionally Or just you know like that's just the Peter Jackson style film I think um, uh, on Dale though Trish well, I actually just felt like the whole Dale sequence everything having to do with Dale was a distraction um, the uh, uh, maybe the initial. Stand going to Dale after the dragon attack, fine. But the whole weird thing where, like, Azog sends forces to Dale, and so then we split up the battle into two places, and then, of course, later Thorn runs into the mountains, and then we have three battles. Okay. Hated it. Hated it.
1: Well, I'll hoist you in your own petard. Here you go. Yeah. I'll hoist you in your own petard. <laughs> they needed to use the set. They invested a lot in the set, so they needed to use it. So yeah, then, no. Then, I,
2: I, I've got a, I, I've I've got a much better reason. Mind. Um, I found it. I I, I found uh, I found it tactically compelling, um, based on how the battlefield is laid out. Um, Azog would be an idiot if he didn't try to take Dale because Dale is a yeah, really strong position right outside. I mean, if they're coming in and they're between two strong depi- positions, the mountain and Dale. It's one of the main differences? We're never really told much in the book about the. I mean, Dale. By its name, I mean. Of course, have we ever pointed out the irony that Dale seems to be on a hill uh, in in the film, yeah. <laughs> which is like a little ironic. Well, it's like a Dale it's like is a valley. Front,
1: practically at the front door of the gate, right? I mean,
2: right. It's 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 in the valley, in next to the mountain. That's why it's called Dale, which is a well, valley. Yeah, and totally uh, 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 movie, so
1: like right there.
2: I know, but anyway. So the fact that, but but anyway, accepting the fact that Dale, for some reason, is on a hill, which would be kind of like saying the Long Lake is in a desert, but whatever. Um, Dale's on a hill, um, and it's a pretty strong defensive position. Um, and so, if Azog is attacking in and he's and he's he is he, his army is fighting in the valley between these two defensive positions. Obviously, the thing you do is capture one of the strong points so that he can then use that as the staging ground for his army. So, like, tactically speaking, obviously it 's the thing you do, and it 's so much easier to attack uh, than uh, than the mountain because although there are more defenders in it than there are in the mountain, there are way more points of attack uh, on Dale than in the mountain so you overwhelm you you overrun Dale and then you you 've got behind both armies, and then you can use that as a strong... so now not only do uh, the the humans and dwarves and elves have to defeat you on the field, they now also have to be able to drive you out of Dale um, so right. You know, so I mean, honestly, that's what I was thinking during those scenes, and I'm like, well, yeah, of course like given given the the you know the helicopter view of this battlefield that we're getting like attacking Dale is obviously the move uh for azog, so I didn't have a problem with it for that reason, but yeah, I just, I don't
0: know. I kind of combined with Thorin going in the mountains, it, it felt like it spread the battle out a lot. And I guess i guess maybe if I think about it, I, I see what they're doing. They want to have some different textures, and then they want to have each character have, like, their feature contribution to the overall battle. But it kind of, the actual yeah. battle in the field gets lost. It, it just kind of disappears. Yeah. Like, it just doesn't seem to actually matter anymore. Yeah. Um, Dave, you're crit-ficking again.
2: Yeah. Pay attention to every so time true. you start a sentence with, they want to.
0: Yeah, no, true. That's true. That's true. Well, I'm just saying – And don't like, forget that your instruction, to
1: us, your instruction to us before this episode was let's do literary analysis.
0: Yeah, no, no I, I agree. Uh, well, well I, I, what I'm trying to say is my enjoyment – I don't like it. So I'm trying to find some reason why it seems like it would be a good thing to do on screen because I don't think it works. It's just all the stuff. Like, it's just so confusing. We keep flipping back and forth between these three different sets. sets I do
2: do understand what you mean. And I do the same thing. It's hard not to, it's hard not to, uh, when you're talking about what's going on and, and exactly as you say, trying to give it the benefit of the doubt and saying, here's what it seems like the story was going for, but I thought that it was failing. So yeah. yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, of course, like one of the results of the choices that they made there was to keep our attention focused on two primary things. That is, one was the battle before the mountain, primarily with the dwarves, and uh, and then you know with Thorin eventually emerging as the focal point on that front. And then you've got Bard and the refugees of Lake Town in mm-hmm. whom it seems that the story has also really asked us to invest emotionally mm-hmm. um at that you know very heavily in the first part of the film. Um and so so clearly there were two major subplots being put forward um during the 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 especially the later parts of the battle sequence, and that is are the refugees from Lake Town going to be overrun and destroyed? Um and um and is you know, you know, and, and Thorin versus Azog, essentially, yeah. to put that in, to put that into yeah. into into really simple terms.
0: And and um, you know, the the stuff with
2: Bard and his kids is pretty. It's actually pretty good. I liked that. That was one of my favorite stuff. I loved I loved Bard's kids. As 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 uh, you know, for all that uh, you know, I was uh, sort of you know, we've been joking about Bard's kids dying. Uh, the drama of Bard's kids not dying, <laughs> I liked. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> in the film I thought they did that well um.
1: <laughs> hey, hey guys yes. what, what, what did you think of the what did you think of the battle the lead up to the battle of three armies I actually liked that part of the movie
0: oh yeah I thought that was pretty good actually you know the
1: parlay and, and you know the whole like lead up to that to the, the orcs come I mean I thought that was I liked it
2: yeah I did um, I I I liked it too. I thought the reversal was fascinating—the Bard Thranduil reversal from the book. Yep. you know uh-huh. the, where Bard yes. was clearly the aggressor in the book, and you know the Elven right. king was all "Mr. Long shall I tarry ere I begin this war for gold." Um, yeah, and yeah, that the is reversal a- of that right. I thought was cool. I, I like that because I like that change to Thranduil's character. I, and and. Um, and I think, you know, as I've argued, as I argued in my book, I think people give the Elven King in the book way more of a pass than he deserves, um, you know, for his including Bilbo. Including Bilbo, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. so um, anyway, I I I I mean, because there really is some hypocrisy in that statement. Long will I tarry, begin this war for gold. Well, then you should have stayed home, Bucko, and not brought your army to the mountain. Um, you you did begin a war for gold <laughs> by arming your people and marching on the mountain. F Y I. Um, uh, but anyway, you know, it's 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 fine. So um, I, I did I did like that element particularly. Um, and, and I thought that, you know, the, the the Parley... Well, again, my biggest problem with the Parley, what undermined the Parley for me is the story that the earlier films had invested in. And I spent a lot of time on Thursday night talking about the, you know, the Arkenstone and my issues with the Arkenstone story, and I want to rehash all that now. But basically, I think that I couldn't had I been seeing this film somehow in isolation, you know, um, I I think I would have enjoyed the um, negotiations over the... You know, Bard's appeal to Thorin, you know, turning that initial parley from a formal military parley into a personal appeal from Bard to Thorin I thought was really powerful and worked very well. Um, I liked then, you know, then the Bilbo's exchange and the further... um, you know, which was and which the boy and the thief in the night dialogue they stuck to so much more closely than I expected, yeah, to. I mean, the yeah. number of lines they lifted straight from the book in that scene way surpassed my expectations um, mm-hmm. and, and the same thing with the final parley and the descendant of rats scene at the gate, I mean he called him a rat instead of a descendant of rats but um but but it was it was um. You know, I, I think I would have enjoyed that more had I not been throughout that scene thinking, but what about the Arkenstone? What is it supposed to hang on? Wait, I don't understand. If I weren't thinking that the whole time, I probably would have enjoyed it a whole heck of a lot more. Um, but unfortunately, that was a major distraction for me.
0: Huh. You asked the question, Trish, what would you think?
1: I liked it. I liked that. Tech. I liked that part. I thought the whole the whole piece leading up to the orcs' arrival. I liked. Um, Even the uh, wereworms. Yeah, I mean, it, it was, no, 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 no. I wasn't getting to the wereworms. I was talking about the parley. The <laughs> okay. parley part. The wereworms. Yeah. When the wereworms came out, I was thinking, "Dune. Yeah. Where did Frank Herbert come into this?" <laughs> one
0: team, one team.
1: Where's the spice? <laughs> That's
0: right. <laughs> did, um, did you like? Did you like? Uh, the The portrayal of Diane Ironfoot.
1: I have decided that Billy Connolly is a dwarf. That explains so much. Billy Connolly is a dwarf. As a person, he has the personality of a dwarf. So I actually liked Diane. I thought he did a nice job with
0: Diane. His accent annoyed me at first, but uh, but I've decided I don't, it's okay. Um, it seems. He... Well, I mean,
1: it, 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 a lot of the dwarves had mild Scottish accents yeah. anyway, so he just had a stronger Be,
0: one. Between still. between him, between his accent and like the CGI that they applied to him, they CGI'd him, didn't oh, they? Oh,
1: they did. That was yeah. disappointing. Between
0: those two things, he, he feels a lot like if when I whenever he's on screen, especially when he's fighting, I feel like I'm watching someone play World of Warcraft. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs>
2: but... Yeah, I um, I hated the pig. Yeah, I did. Uh, the pig was dumb. Yeah, I hated I the pig.
1: I was um, disappointed in the pig. I was expecting like a warp you know, like a boar with like big old tusks and you know, I don't like. And, and here know, is what super this is awesome.
2: And it's hard for me because. I feel that I am way more in sympathy with Peter Jackson's sense of humor than many people. I find action scenes hilarious. Like I, I, I will. This always puzzles my wife. Like when we're watching action movies, like just regular action movies, I'll, i I crack up laughing during fight sequences very often. <laughs> um, some of my favorite comedy films of all time are Jackie Chan action films, oh man, Jackie Chan's action sequences are as funny as anything I see in movies. Like, I, uh, oh man. Um, I love that particular kind of physical comedy. Um, and Jackie Chan was such a, was such a genius. That's why I love the bomber scene in the, in the barrels. I don't feel even that my, un, my, my, my disbelief needs to be suspended because we're in a completely different genre at that point. It's not about belief. Um, it's hilarious. I was in utter lack of sympathy with the pig. Like so, it, it, despite the fact <laughs> that I no I, sympathy for the pig. <laughs> I had no sympathy for the pig. I am out of sympathy with the entire mindset from which that pig emerged. I, I, I just it. There is no universe in which that makes sense to me. Um, I'm not saying I cannot see anything funny about it. I can see something funny about it. What I can't understand is how the particular species of funny that that potbelly pig is is in any way relevant or contributive to the story at that point. I mean having Diane coming in riding on a like domestic potbelly pig does nothing but undermine him. It invites us to laugh at Dan, not with him, at him. And yes. in that particular yeah. moment, to be inviting us to laugh at him, what on earth uh, what, what was the goal of that? I mean, in what sense was, I mean, it just seemed to be a comedy absolutely at the expense of the story and that i can't understand again lots of people have been complaining about that throughout the films I agree. In some cases, I've disagreed on many cases. I don't mind. I like the chip the glasses and crack the plate scene. I like the. I even like uh, many of the things in uh, in Goblin Town. Not the fine. I mean, the writing was bad when Gandalf. You know, they were like, "Oh, that'll do it." You know, when the Goblin King dies, um, but uh, uh, but the Great Goblin. I mean, um, but um, but you know, I mean, a, a lot of that stuff. I like. I enjoy it. You know. I, I you know like Legolas's creative. De- I like it. I don't like that. I just don't I just t- to me that is that that's to me in a totally different genre and I hated it. <laughs> but what about setting the pig aside? <laughs> um, uh, did
0: you did you kind of like did you like the interaction with the dwarves? I, I I had mixed feelings about Diane's speech. I you know, I kind of liked um I prefer the dialogue in the book,
2: uh, where where, where sort the... of stilted, formalized language. Yeah, and
0: because I like the narrator's comment. I like. I like. It yes. seems it's more. You know it it seems more clever, like that the dwarves would come up and say, "Oh hi uh we 're on our way to the lonely mountain um, you know and I, and I like the fact the narrator says that 's the polite stilted formal way to say, Get out of our way or we're going right. to make you get out of our way like I like that whereas you know it's instead they turned it into a club instead of a nice subtle you know some subtle clever dialogue they turned into to of course the uncouth dwarf Scottish dwarf guy uh, CGI dwarf guy being played by Billy Connolly the guy who admittedly didn't read the books and doesn't care and of course they have to hand him some some dialogue that sounds really just goofy um, that bothered me on the other hand man the moment where I love the I love the way in which I like the sort of the formations the dwarves make like they definitely yes. make the dwarves seem way cooler than dwarves ever seemed in Lord of the Rings. And then when the orcs show up and Billy Connolly's character just dying just literally, like there's not even a moment's thought of, oh boy, here come the orcs, let's go. You know what I mean? There's not even right. a mo. There's no hesitation. The, it's so interesting. It makes the elves look like doofuses because they're just standing there while the dwarves are running around them to go engage exactly. the goblins. Yeah.
2: Especially the way that they. The, it doesn't even. It doesn't even strike them like, hey, let's form. Um, because like here we are. We the dwarves were standing on the higher ground. Yeah. Right. So it's not even like maybe we should form up up here on the flank of the elves on the higher ground, and if the orcs charge into that huge army of uh of of elves, yes. then. That's cool. You know, we'll let them take the charge and we'll sweep in from the side. But yeah, like the the complete like we look at, we are just so eager to engage these orcs that we're going to run around, we're going to we're going to go around you and run into the front and 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 for, and make a formation. I I I did like that too actually. Yeah, I kind of enjoy that. Um
1: but uh, the parlay stuff... Did you touch sh- on... Did you touch on... I, I, I went away for a minute. Did oh. you touch on the elves jumping out over the dwarves? No, I,
2: we didn't yet. I really we liked didn't. that. Also enjoyed yeah, that I, Okay, because
1: well. Strandwell, you know, wasn't going to. I I did like that moment, even uh, though it was kind of a little... Talk about suspending of disbeliefy. but still, <laughs> I really liked it. Yes,
0: yes. Seemed virtually impossible that the elves could have gotten there that quickly, given how far away they were standing. Yeah. Two seconds before we see them yeah. jumping, but... yeah, And, you know, and to whatever, sail right, over that yeah.
1: enormous dwarves, but that's okay. It was still dramatic, and I liked it.
2: Well, the dwarves, I mean, they're dwarves, and they were crouching down. You know, so dwarves... <laughs> <cracked>. <laughs> I could they, Wasn't it wide? A dwarf.
1: It was a wide... But it was a wide. It was, like, several dwarves deep.
2: Yeah, but they but they were jumping on their heads. I mean, they, they were, like, going on the backs oh, of the dwarves who were crouching down behind. Like Legolas. Obviously was trained. <laughs> Right. Well, the dwarf formation was basically three deep. Do you notice that you've got the first dwarf who okay. kneels down right. and puts his shield on the ground. Then you've got another dwarf behind him who kneels and puts his shield upwards, right, to to make on the top. ceiling. Okay. And then you've got a third dwarf kneeling down behind and sticking his spear out in between. It was a very, it, it, it was oh a, right, right, right. Okay. It was a very Roman formation. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. And uh, so so that's that's both low to the ground and very solid. So I actually I, I did not have to sus- suspend this. I mean I I was looking at that, I'm like, I could probably so the run just basically over ran that
1: they ran well they so they ran on the shields then. On the backs of on the their, kneeling
2: dwarves, on the backs shields. and shoulders and heads okay. of the dwarves and, and their shields, okay.
1: yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. I just because yep. I, I didn't really pay attention to that part. I just was like, when they jumped over top of him into the orcs, I was like, wow, right. that's cool. <laughs> no, I,
2: well, that's I funny. agree. I, I agree. You know, with uh, Luke's comment here about the insanity of the battle tactics, there. Yeah, that was my thought. My, my thought wasn't, oh, this is improbable. I was like, you idiot! That was a really good defensive formation. What the heck are you doing? Um, I know. I know. What I was kind of hoping for was for the the dwarven phalanx to be you know to be rigidly standing there and then in in uh, to depict their surprise as the first four ranks of goblins all drop dead with elven arrows in them that's what i was expecting because that, that would, would be more, the right. sensible thing that would for make the elves way to do more sense. instead
0: what the elves did was send a bunch of their own people into the ranks of the goblins so they can
2: use their archers <laughs> So they can't use their well, see, archers so that they render the, the excellent the defensive are, position yeah. of the dwarves completely irrelevant. Yeah, 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 they, yeah. The elves
1: are ranged fighters. Yeah, they should have stayed behind. That's true.
0: That's right. Have these people oh, well. ever so played Lord of the, the Rings States online? The Come on. <laughs> you guys right. would never, you would never
2: do, do it that way. You would oh, use are your you pe- kidding?
1: Clara yes. yelled at me when I did that. Yeah. Me, <laughs> that's
2: true. That. that was like the first lesson I had to give Trish when the very first yes. time that Trish don't and don't I were forward. ever in a fellowship in Lord Get of the Rings Online. She was a hunter and I was a tank. <laughs> and Trish was and running, running in, said, in getting kicked. Stop <laughs> running up to a, I'm going to attack them. You stand over there and shoot it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> DPS, but, Trish. DPS. Yeah, yeah. You are DPS. That's I'm right. the range.
1: Tank. DPS. Let me go. <laughs> yeah, that's true.
0: Um,
1: actually, you know, saying that, um, I, I, did, I I think back to what you were saying about the CGI and, and Dane. You know, I mean, I, I think even if I hadn't been playing Lotro, I still would have gotten a lot of video gaming sensations yeah. from this movie. Yeah, um, yeah. And I did actually in the second movie as well. You know, and yeah. and again, it's just kind of like, okay, well, that's just. Well, and, you
2: know, the one thing that I will say there, and a lot of people complain about that, though I think that most of the people who complain about that are people who dislike video games, um, because, of course, <laughs> you know what you, you... You hear this a lot as, uh, you know, CGI becomes more and more intense. You hear a lot of people saying, gosh, movies are really starting to sound like video games now. But you know what you hear about people playing from people playing video games? Gosh, video games are getting more and more like movies now. Yep. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I think that there really is, in fact, a like a coming together plan. of those two of those two media yeah. of those two genres, and I kind of find that a really interesting thing. Yeah. So I, you know, in fact, I, in many cases, video games
0: feel video games often feel less hokey and video game ish than movies. Do. <laughs> it's
2: true. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah,
0: true. Yeah, they have more talented people working on building uh, realistic looking stuff. Okay, let's let's That's take a yeah. let's take an interlude. On discussion, and let's do some lightning round things. This this is a good opportunity to get just touch base on a lot of different things, especially things that you really like to really that you didn't like uh, that maybe aren't worth uh, in you know a whole lot of discussion. Uh, Sure. uh, First up, favorite laugh out loud moment, Trish.
1: Bilbo being knocked out and then and then coming to and saying the eagles are coming. That, I actually laughed out loud in the theater when that happened.
2: Yeah, when uh, when yeah when Bilbo gets like uh, bludgeoned in passing by Bolg as he walks by. Yeah, yeah, that was funny. Yeah,
1: yeah, and then he comes to and he says the eagles are coming. It was like, oh, that was funny how they stuck that in there. That was hilarious. So I thought that was fun.
2: Okay, Corey, hands down, no question. The only part of the film that made me, like, full belly laugh out loud um, was the concussed troll. I loved the concussed troll.
1: (laughs) That's true. That was funny. My nephews
2: and I absolutely split our sides laughing at the concussed troll. It would have been... Oh, and the thing is, I is about that. It, it was one of the only moments that I, I was that was so success that I felt comedically was so successful in this moment. Uh, this kind, because of all of the places where he has tried to like was, forcibly interject comedy or lightheartedness into the middle of like grim sequences, many of the times it it, it hasn't really worked, and I I kind of wish that he hadn't done it. I loved that one actually. When the troll runs up the hill, well, with, it was played
1: with, down. It was kind of low key, wasn't it? It was, was very it low wasn't key. It was really, but just like, like you know, so yeah. the,
2: the troll head butting the wall with this like you know stone thing on his head. That itself was kind of clever. You know, it's like actually, it's a re- you know that that's that's a pretty smart uh, 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 you know sort of tactical. Concept, you know, to have the the troll batter his way through the wall, but it was the fact that the troll then like made that face and staggered and passed out, you know, after he had concussed himself on the wall, that just absolutely cracked me up. But I found, like, know, I don't know, in that moment, I found that I it didn't ra- undermine it. I don't know. I liked it.
1: I laughed out loud, and nobody else in the theater did. I was really surprised nobody thought that was funny. I'd I, I, like you. I, I cracked up and nobody else laughed. I was really surprised. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, they don't have our same level of sophistication. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs>
2: sophistication.
0: <Clearly>. Uh, <laughs> so I have an admission to make. <laughs> I laughed out loud when they killed Feely and then killed Keely. Um, which has uh-huh. a lot to do with the <laughs> has a lot less to do with the comedy of the film and a lot more to do with riddles in the dark and our podcast. Right. But when they just when they killed, <laughs> <laughs> killed Feely, the fact that Feely was the first one to yeah, go, it was yeah. just like, oh my god, they're gonna do! It. <laughs> I just started <laughs> laughing. The people probably thought I was nuts. I was just. And they killed Feely. I
2: was like, well, there goes that riddle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, another one of those riddle uh, yeah, inspired inappropriate reactions to the yeah. films.
0: Yeah. Especially because there was no hope of <laughs> Keely surviving at that point. It just seemed mm-hmm. inevitable. Um, at that point, it yeah. probably Absolutely should not. have been inevitable. Probably should have known when they, when they all went up there together. And then Keely and Feely were sent off on some kind of strange right. nonsensical mission on their own and they split up. Um, that, I should have realized it but once once I saw Azog dragging Feely out I was like oh my god <laughs> they, wow they're going to yeah. and then they killed him and it was like <laughs> I just laughed I'm sorry <laughs> <say>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right um, favorite I've got something in my eye moment Trish
1: see now I feel bad about this because you guys have already dissed it but Dwallin's confrontation with Thorin I actually like both sides of the conversation um, I thought, of course, Thorin was being very Macbeth anyway, so I was kind of appreciating his Shakespearean, you know, over the topness. And I thought Dwallin's, you know, I, actually, Corey and I talked about this because I talked about, you know, I'm surprised I didn't send Balan in and whatnot. But actually, Dwallin was the one to send in because he was the, he loyal, I'm loyal to him no matter what yeah. kind of dwarf. Yeah. And I just thought that was a really good interchange. Yeah. So I was like, oh.
2: Uh For me, it was, uh, it was. Bard's reunion with his kids after the destruction of Lake Town.
1: You're such a softy.
2: Absolutely. What a yeah. softy. That kind of thing. Like I, I cry. I. I it, oh yeah. Absolutely. I was like absolutely. Yeah. That's. I'm such a sucker for like. I thought you were dead, but you're really alive. Like oh man. Like it doesn't even matter. It doesn't have to be good writing. It doesn't have to be well conceived. Like you know. <laughs> Throw together a, like, post-catastrophe reunion of people who thought they were dead, and I'll be, like... Uh, and you're you know, just
1: falling but, like a baby yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, boy. Yeah, no,
2: it's sad. All right, I'm
0: glad you didn't so. take mine, which is the obvious one, Thorne's death scene. Yeah, just yeah. I, I thought they... Yeah, I thought I, about that. I was disappointed it took place up on some mountain, um, away from all the action. I would have preferred it be in the middle of the battle or in a tent somewhere or something, but would have
2: preferred to have it a few more spectators. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Nonetheless,
0: yeah. Yes. setting all that aside, I thought, I thought they nailed it. That's, that's an example of something where like, it was yeah. those kinds of moments. There were enough of them that I, that I, that I didn't come away being disgusted with the film. Like, like uh, I, I just, I was, I was like, yes, that's, that scene made me feel the way it should have made me feel. Thank you for getting yeah. that right. It yeah. was beautiful.
1: Yeah. And I actually had that initially, and then I thought, well, wait a second. So, I mean, I knew that was coming. I think was the only, the only reason it wasn't number one for me was that it was coming, whereas the dwelling confrontation with Thor was something new. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, but I agree with you. I think that was a, a yeah. great great. – I've got something in my eye scene.
2: Um. I, I really liked it, but I almost never cry at sad moments. In <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very, <laughs> very few. But I will say, actually, you know, to give, to, I mean, to give Jackson credit – one of the one of the scenes in the Lord of the Rings films, the scene when Eomir finds the body of Eowyn on the on the on the field. Oh yeah, yeah. That's one of the, I oh, that gets me every time. And um, yeah, um, uh, part of I mean a lot of that is just the actor. I mean the dude who played a. Amir really was amazing in that scene. Um, yeah, but um, but but. Uh, but generally yeah like people grieving doesn't make me cry it's like you catastrophes and happy reunions that make me cry so yeah it's, All right. that's yeah. um favorite defying the laws of physics
0: moment let's start with Corey this time
2: oh well that's easy I, that's that's the 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 shooting of the dragon i mean no question i mean that's um and in fact i want to be cautious in saying this because there's so many places in the film that defy the laws of gravity of of physics that I'm not 100% sure that I can make a sweeping statement but I think it was the only defying physics moment in the film that I liked um the rest of them and there were many I didn't like um mm-hmm. and wow. I was um and I was annoyed by many of them especially the I just I found the continual like let me continue to one-up myself in the improbable uh, uh, Legolas stunts. Just tiresome by the yes. end of the film. Yeah, I, was just, I do too.
1: I, I was I'm just really over that. Yeah. Um, yeah.
2: And it's, I mean, especially since, and again, my tolerance for action scenes, way higher than average. And I am totally fine with most of the, even a lot of the things in The Desolation of Smaug. There's nothing... In Legolas's fight, okay, not nothing, very little. In Legolas's fight with Bolg at the end of the of the Desolation of Smaug, that bothered me, um, as far as like stunts and things are concerned. But oh my goodness, like the seriously. climbing the
1: cumble- crumbling rocks didn't get to you. <laughs> His climbing those crumbling rocks—that was
2: jumping like, off okay. of rocks that are floating in midair. Yeah, that. Beh- yes. <laughs> I you know it's it's I mean like I don't I don't like the 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 mirror like the simple fact that like you know Legolas has like crazy ninja abilities like it's fine like I didn't I I'm I'm fine with everything that happens in the Lord of the Rings from Legolas I was fine with most of the things that he did I didn't, I didn't mind about the barrel scene I like the barrel scene it's fine I, I'm okay with him jumping around from the head of one dwarf to another um I I can go there but man, like the bat and the tower and the,
1: It, I mean, it was
0: too much. They, 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 they took a, it. Yeah. They took a trope that they created in Lord of the Rings films. And, and even then was a little, like got a little tiresome toward the end of Return <laughs> of they, the King.
1: They beat it to death. Yeah.
0: This trilogy, <laughs> they, they just beat it to death. Like the barrel Absolutely. scene was pretty funny. I kind of enjoyed him standing on their heads and stuff, but yeah, this yeah. film, it just went out of control.
2: I agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was, yeah, that was completely, yeah. completely off the, off the reservation. It was just off. Trish, so given that
1: we've written those off, so, so, oh, for me, same, same scene, Bard and Bane. Yes. I, I, enjoyed it. You know, it's like I was willing to overlook all the improbability of that whole thing just because yep. I loved yeah. the scene.
0: Me too. Um, uh, and you know, maybe the I, I'm the same way. I, I was thinking I would try to come up with, but I can't. Um, uh, anything else? I, and I think the lesson <laughs> of that is what makes. What makes in mo in, in my opinion, what makes the weird weird um, defiance of laws of physics nonsensical plot points all those kinds of things will tolerate them when there 's a story reason for it when it enhances the story and in that in the case of the firing of the black arrow bolt thing using the um, human wind wind lance um, contraption. It was great because because it worked. You're like, oh, that's that's awesome. I like that choice. Whereas yeah. the Legolas yeah. stuff is yeah. just gratuitous and has no purpose other than to other than I was to nodding. like. Yeah, we know all the Legolas fanboys and fangirls are gonna scream squeal when Legolas comes on the screen he's clinging to the bat and flips upside. Blah blah blah. And it's just like, give me a break. So. Yeah. And yeah. then, oh,
1: this is my stop, so I'm going to shoot you in the head now so you'll drop me. You know? Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, Though
2: to God. me, even worse ah. was like the, I'm going to shoot the troll in the head and use the arrow that I've shot him in the head with to steer him into the tower to knock Oh, yeah. Oh, the yeah. Tower oh gosh, over. yes. Oh, I um,
1: blocked that one
2: And out. I'm like, what, like, like so... Did did Legolas shoot the troll with like surgical precision so as to use the arrowhead to stimulate certain parts of his cortex in order to control his motor functions? Is that what we're supposed to be understanding there? I mean, like, I just you know, uh, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. I had blocked that one out. That was how. Like, oh please. Yeah. I mean, well, just... I mean,
2: it's because in I mean, in that whole section, like they are so. Uh, I mean, honestly, I, I was um, – talk about – okay, no, th- th- that, that whole sequence, actually – is my absolute number one candidate. If I'm cutting something from this film, people are complaining about Alfred. I liked Alfred, actually. Do I think we could have done with less of him? Yes, I think we. You know, there was there was too much like Alfred is a gratuitous villain scenes, um, uh, which were kind of annoying. I'm not saying it was well written. I'm not saying it was done elegantly, but I liked what they were doing, inelegantly in- with Alfred. So fair I was enough. willing to yeah. put up with they
0: the They were lack trying to accomplish something with that. Legolas, the the Legolas scenes, they're not, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. So, like, the fight between Toriel and Bolg up to, up through, and including her pushing the two of them off the cliff, I loved that move. I loved that. And, of course, needless to say, I expected Toriel to die. I was like, oh, what a wonderful way for Toriel to die. Um, You know, (laughs) that was great. I liked it. And then, and even if they have to make her survive, you know, like having uh, you know, having her lying like on the side of the mountain there, and Bolg having fallen off to his death, that's it. Close scene. Legolas can then run down and find her or something, and that's it. We did, you know, I, it's I didn't think. Th- and again, I I say this as a fan of action films, and 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 as a proponent of action sequences as instruments for the furthering of story, mm. um. That whole, like, Legolas trying to rescue Toriel. And then made, made, yeah. rendered all rendered comical by the fact that at the end he couldn't even find her. You know, like, having done all this and heroically right. killed Volg and gotten over to the other side of the mountain, <laughs> and, like, after performing all of these incredibly amazing, wildly impossible stunts, he's still like, uh, Toriel, you here? What's up? You know, I, I, that's... <laughs> Like nothing was accomplished. Literally nothing was accomplished in the well, I
1: gotta I gotta watch this again with you, Corey, because we could do a Mystery Science Zero three thousand of this movie. Then it'll then I'll enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Okay. Most wow. most okay. cringe worthy moment. Uh, I'm gonna go first. I utterly detest Transfigure Galadriel. I cannot stand it. Um, that ruined the entire Dull Golder scene for me. Uh, I, I cannot, I can barely stand to watch that entire scene, and I don't really like other parts of it either. But cannot stand it. Just makes, it, it, all right. I'm gonna wait into crit fic, but it's one of those things where it makes it it, it it makes no sense. It doesn't fit into the story. There's no reason for her to be that way. The whole reason she, I didn't like it in the Lord of the Rings film, but at least there was an explanation. They were trying to show her as the Dark Queen if she took the the One Ring. Why right. is she it's doing the that here of now?
2: The
0: possibility, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, like it, it just makes no sense. And not only does it make no sense, it also it's it seems bad. You know what I mean? It's it's suggesting that power using her elf ring power is making her. You know, I, I didn't like it. Thought it looked dumb. Thought it looked stupid. Um, thought it sent the wrong messages. And it seemed cheap. It seemed like a oh hey you know people like that in the Lord of the Rings film. Let's do it again here. Um, Uh, just let me
1: go next let me go next let me go next could not
0: stand that couldn't stand it Trish
1: I totally agree with you that is also my cringe worthy moment and I will add I will be like a dwarf putting my shield on top of your shield that's in front of the battle (laughs) I will add that not only you hit all the right points for me that is absolutely the worst the, the worst depiction of that battle that could ever be done they took the, the, the dark side of her, like you said, in Fellowship of the Ring, it had a context. She looked that way because she was contemplating what it would be like for her to be the Dark Lord herself. Yeah. Okay? But at Dal Gul'dur, it should have been light fighting dark. Yeah. Tolkien's themes are light fighting dark. She should have been the light positive of Sauron's negative. That's how she should have been in that scene. Yeah. And to turn her into not only the version of her in Fellowship of the Ring, but a worse version of yeah. her. In Fellowship of the Ring was just, it was just ghastly. Yeah. yeah, It was. I was ashamed. <laughs> okay, so okay. that's why I wanted to go next. And I will. And I
2: will be the third dwarf crouching down and thrusting the lance through from behind. Then, um, <laughs> uh, because I agree, I, that was that was. I, I, I I'm I'm very willing to agree that that was the worst scene in the from a certainly from a Tolkien adaptation perspective. I I I that was the worst scene in the film and maybe the worst scene in the whole trilogy. Yes. Um, as yeah. far as, like, the violence that they did. I mean, I, I uh, yeah. Um, yep. In hey. particular, hey. To, just to, to, to add something else there, the whole, when you take, not just the moment, not just when she stands up, and, but the entire, I, 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 um, I, I'm not in general a fan of readings of this kind. Like a fan of reading, like somebody who like will, uh, will I like quote, do a feminist reading uh, of something, but right. I even I who am not especially like you know and the you know the questions of gender roles and things are not like the first questions that are usually in my mind they're not the questions of primary interest to me usually when I'm watching something, but even I couldn't watch that without thinking this you know not just that moment but the whole lead up to that moment first why is goadrio looking so, i mean the, the and and honestly i I, mean, I don't know if it's right to blame kate blanchett um uh because i mean presumably she was operating under directorial instruction in you know but like when she was coming down like her whole tone from the beginning um of like that is from the first time we saw her face mm-hmm. um you know and she's carrying gandalf down she's looking around and she's all like a, acting like a scared rabbit, and then she gives a little gasp yeah. when the Nazgul come out, and then she's crouching down there by Gandalf, and um, even before she has expended any power, when she should still be, you know, at full strength, um, she she's she is just cowering there while Saruman and Elrond fight off the Nazgul, um, and she seems helpless. She kisses Gandalf's forehead, and that, and I'm willing to believe okay i i, I suppose i 'm supposed to understand that she 's weakened by this, that is to say that she has expended power in healing Gandalf, and so she 's like temporarily weakened or something i i mean that wasn 't i mean i had to I had to bring that to the story i couldn 't get it from the story exactly but uh, but applying my own ingenuity, I was able to come up with that justification for her remaining lying there on the ground. But the whole her whole attitude, by which I mean, the, her facial expressions and her body posture, her
1: body language, everything. Yeah.
2: Yes, yeah. was all of yeah. weakness. And what's more, the way that the men were looking down at her, yeah. and then when she stands up and does this, there was almost—I mean, again, like I could easily do a feminist reading of this to, to suggest that this was a really misogynist depiction, because it's yeah. there was this sense of like like you know she gets up and it's not like ah yes like our ca- our captain and champion is is rising to the occasion and she's going to take on smoke no there was this air of like Oh great! The woman is gonna go off now. Like she's gonna, she's gonna, you know, <laughs> like oh boy, like this, this, this like unpredictable female is gonna blow her top. And it's like oh, and now she's going all dark again. Like oh boy, you know, like a, and and then afterwards she's all lying there with like her head on at Elrond's knee, and Elrond and Saruman are like, you know, let's take care of business now. I mean,
1: they're there. There, there, little lady. There, there, yeah. little
2: lady. That was uh, that was uh, that was extravagant, but uh, rather embarrassing. And I'm glad you've gotten yourself under control now, because we know how women can't control themselves. I, I, I just <laughs> I, I wouldn't go too far down that road, because I almost always find readings of that kind really reductive. And such a reading would be reductive even of that scene. But um, but never. But but the elements are there you know and and, oh, and yeah. so yeah. i agree with everything the two of you said and i would add that as well that as as um, it's really
1: interesting cuz you really called it remember the 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 the, banner? the
2: tapestry oh my remember goodness! Remember that was yeah. the
1: issue you had with the, yes. the tapestry that, that that you know and i remember you talked about that and i it's like they they bore it out like in spades in the yes. scene it's just uh.
2: yes now though I, I was for that reason remembering the tapestry i was um i was i was recall, i was I was I was I was looking for that moment. <clears throat> that is the moment when Gandalf and Galadriel are holding hands. You know when she's reaching out to him, right. the thing that was depicted there, the thing that was depicted um, to make her look so weak in the tapestry, and then. In, su- in, in one of the promotional stills, altered to make her look less weak by taking it and tilting it 45 degrees as if she's holding <laughs> Gandalf, who is falling off a precipice, um, which made her look weak and the whole thing look irrational. I mean, it just out of it made any sense um, uh, when they changed the angle of it. Um, but remember, it, it does happen when that moment actually right. occurs is when Radagast puts Gandalf on the on yeah. his bunny sled and she's holding his hand basically to say goodbye and the reason she's prone is cuz she's still lying there in a puddle at Elrond's feet um, after you yeah. know she's had her you know and her her sort of wacky evil power moment yeah um, but but uh, but I agree I mean in his you know people want you know some people i think want to justify goadriel's you know sort of the darkness there and the foreshadowing or or Dave, as you say overshadowing of the fellowship of the ring moment um, you know it's like oh no that's a tolkienian thing it's about like you know like power and the, and the temptations mm-hmm. of power bull honky Tolkien said, uh, not all power is yeah. evil in Tolkien. Not yeah. at all. It is a complete, right. uh, it is a you're completely missing the point if you think that Tolkien is saying all power is evil. Yeah. Dominate, the use of power for the domination of others is evil. Power is not evil. Um... So, and Galadriel's power, like, yes, Galadriel is, in some ways, she does have a lot of darkness in her. She is tempted to, I mean, you know, look back, all I have to do is read the Unfinished tale stuff, and you can see the history of Galadriel and, and how, you know, there are many places where she is um, strongly tempted and where she, you know, she goes along with Fanor more than, you know, in the published Silmarillion, she goes along with Fanor more than any of other of the Noldor, um, yeah. you, know, you know, non-Fanor branch so um so you know that stuff is there and that's fun. you know you can do that and again that's what comes out in the fellowship of the ring and that's why i have no problem with that moment uh in the film in the fellowship of the ring film but yeah to say that any exertion of her power that the exertion of her power when she's standing up against sauron is is
1: yeah I think I think the the correct contrast. I think the comparison that we should make is Galadriel to Sauron as Gandalf to the Balrog, and they did not do any of that to, to Gandalf when he st- faced off the Balrog in the films. You yeah, anyway, know, it was he was light. It That's was very a light. Least. It was light with darkness. And, yes. And that should have been that should have been the theme they were following through, not the Galadriel from the mirror scene in, in Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely.
2: I, I mean, when you put that against, you know, I am a servant of the secret fire, you know, wielder of the, you know, the dark right. fire shall not avail you. Go back to the shadow. I mean, that's. Yeah, that's the. That, and that, that was kind is... of
1: her. That was almost the speech she made. Was very evocative of that speech by Gandalf. Yeah. The speech she actually made. Yeah. If you could, if you could listen to what she was saying in spite of what she looked like. <laughs> yeah, I think that was so stunning. She even calls him a servant so of Morgoth. Yeah. 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 she calls Sauron a servant of Morgoth, which was kind of cool, but yeah, yeah. it, it you know just anyway. it
0: just seemed absurd and nonsensical um, that they would do that while she's standing there wielding an elven ring, holding the file. <laughs> uh, it's just and I, and no. to boot, it looks stupid. It just looked dumb. I hated. I hated the transfigured Galadriel in Lord of the Rings, and it looked even dumber in this one. She looked like she was straight out of a low-budget horror film. Um, yeah, didn't like it. Oh, uh, okay. Let's anyway. let's finish the lightning round on some. So it's this
1: being a lightning round. <laughs> yeah,
0: <'cause> we're, we're <laughs> being Let's finish so it the and let's finish round, it yeah. on positive notes. Okay. Most favorite sort of oh, your well, favorite or most satisfying moment in the film. Like what was what was something and no let's, bummer. let's
1: I was hoping for your mo- most baffling moment cuz I've got a great baffling moment. Okay, sure actually fine. Baffling most moment.
0: baffling moment, let's hear it, Trish.
1: Okay. Radagast chanting at the beginning of the movie. Radagast all scene. Yes. I, I, I was like why did we even have to have that?
2: He was probably <laughs> just lighting his pipe or something or or I don't know. <laughs> performing routine (laughs) maintenance on his bunny sled or i don't know yeah
0: yeah i don't know what what the heck was going on with that (laughs) I totally forgot about that, yeah.
1: Corey had even forgotten about it. Yeah. Yeah, so did you. Yeah. yeah so Corey had forgotten about it, and I asked, I mean, we were talking, I was like, what about? he says, I completely forgot about
2: that. I <laughs> yeah. did, because it was one of those things when I saw it live, I was like, whoa, Radagast is doing his, like, wizardly thing for the second time in the trilogy. Um, I wonder what's going to come up with that. So I, 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 didn't, I didn't focus on it, because yeah. I was, I, like, put it in my queue of, like, things that I was expecting to come back, and it never did, and I forgot about it. Um. Yeah.
1: I know. Yeah. I
0: know. Um,
1: okay. So, so now most, you can proceed.
0: Your most satisfying <laughs> sort of like, your, kind of your favorite moment in the film. Like, like something that you just like. You were like, oh, that was great. I love that. Corey?
2: Hmm. I. And don't, please, people are going to be laughing at this long pause, like we've been complaining about the movie all the way along, saying most satisfying moment. No, you're, you're having trouble choosing. Um, exactly, exactly. That's my. I'm having trouble there, choosing, I too. Um, yeah. I, mean, I, I mean, like, candidates would be, uh, you know, Bard standing up to, you know, the Bard, the improbable uh, Black Arrow moment. I, I really liked that. Um, even uh the 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 smaug bard dialogue or monologue really because bard didn't answer back um in fact the fact the fact that bard didn't attempt to answer back you know that he continued only speaking to his son while the dragon was speaking to him loved it loved that um so uh that was good the um I, you know again I loved the uh the bard's appeal to thorin you know the way that they did the the initial parleys and everything I thought that that was um, I thought that that worked really well. I think probably um, most satisfying was probably the death of the. Well, okay, no, I, I, for for me, it's a tie between the Thorns' deathbed death scene. scene, which I'll continue to call it his deathbed scene, even though it wasn't in a bed, because um, uh, I can't really call it his, his death, death waterfall scene. scene. Yeah, that's that doesn't like death frozen waterfall <laughs> scene doesn't really roll off the tongue in the same in the same in the same <laughs> moment. Um, but, but, but as far, but, but, pro, but probably for pure satisfaction, and it's going to seem strange. It was probably that scene post auction when Bilbo was walking around Bag End. Um, maybe especially since I was already starting to feel a little frustrated by the non closure of major stories from the earlier two films in the third movie. So the fact that the, they did close that one, and I thought closed it so well. Um, I really like that in particular. I like it. I like it, Trish.
1: Um, I was also mulling. I, I think you know, if I was able to have more time, and you said list the top ten, I could easily come up with top you know, mm-hmm. ten scenes I liked. Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree with Corey. I, the two that I really liked the most were the bar, the beginning scene, and the, especially the Bard bane dragon piece of the dragon's death. Mm-hmm. Um, although I will say. Why did you even show us the ballista all this time when we're not even in ballistas, not even, you know, at play here? That did cross my mind for a brief moment. And then the ending with the auction, and and, and as Corey said, the auction, which was just fun, you know, especially that was a Riddles in the Dark moment for me, too, Dave, because I was laughing on your behalf. It's like, oh, yeah, and I even checked. They had Grub Grub and burrows on the sign and the whole Yep, bit. yep, yep. But...
2: But, but when Beulia's he went hat, in... Oh, there, my gosh. And Lobelia's hat. And hat is, like, my one of my favorite props from the entire oh, yes.
1: Now, I will say that that Bilbo says in the beginning of, of the first movie, I never saw those silver spoons. So when he grabbed those silver spoons out of what she was carrying, I'm like, wait a second. But he he said he never saw again. the silver spoons. He oh, he did. Oh, I didn't again. see that. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, he okay. Did. I didn't see it. he put him down again. Okay. All right. But I thought then the follow-up when he walks into the house and and hangs up the photo, the picture of his mother, and straightens the picture of his father, and yeah. looks at you know just like and looks into the place where they the, all the dwarves where the unexpected party had happened. I thought that was just wonderful. That actually almost made me tear up. So, just off the top of my head, those are the two. Couldn't. No, I sorry. I couldn't give you one.
0: <laughs> no, no, that's fine. Um, my, my, I think for me, for all my complaints about Thorne's madness, Thorne's redemption scenes where he walks out of the sun to talk to Keeley and then they come out of the gate. Uh, you know what I mean? Like it's still for all my, like, as I'm sitting there just annoyed at and just grinding my teeth at the whole Thorne's madness stuff. As soon as that scene comes around, I'm like, oh Yeah. So I really <laughs> I I just think I think that stuff works really well for all the flaws of the stuff leading up to it. It works great. Um, finally, <laughs> let's finish with your moment of greatest self satisfaction, A.K.A. I totally predicted this, and and it seemed so unlikely. I'm pretty sure you guys know what it was for me. Uh, the auction. Oh um, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was, yeah. as soon as I saw that they were like, it was clear that we're going to end in the Shire with Bilbo going into the Shire, especially, especially like they're kind of, they kind of do some Lord of the Ringsian almost with Gandalf saying, well, you're, I'm going to send you the rest of the way on your own. Oh, really? You know, and it's, there's kind of a sense of like, yeah, you can handle what's, what you can handle yourself from here. I was like, oh boy, here it comes. <laughs> Heck yeah. <laughs> um. Um, so yeah, I was pretty, man, I was just, I felt so self-satisfied at that. Uh, did, did you guys stuff. have, I'm sure you guys yeah. felt the same way, but did you have other moments? Um,
2: I actually did not have nearly, I, I the first two movies each had a really, really strong one of those, mm-hmm. um, Thorin's, uh, Thor's decapitated head in the first film, the appearance of Bolg in the second film, like those were both, um, uh, moments where I was like fist pumping, you know, like my predictions. Um, but um, I, I didn't have this that exact. I mean, Roach, like, but see, because but Roach was only halfway, you know. I mean, it was
1: yeah. But at least you got your Roach moments. Roach
2: was there, but he was in the shadow of himself. Reference. Yeah. Yes. So was. I mean, he did that, that, kind that of was... talk
1: too. He went. Rah, 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 rah.
2: That was probably the closest we got. Could, could I, I mean, um, you know, if I could just get subtitles, you know, on on, on on the Raven, that would be good. You know, like the Raven is looking at, <laughs> I, like I said, I, I, guess, I think I said on Thursday, you know, like when I like to think that when, in that moment when the Raven comes back right before Dan approaches and, and uh, um, you know, Thorin is all bragging about how, you know, he's going to now pull pull the rabbit out of his hat of, uh, you know, having been communicating with Dan all along, which apparently he hasn't even told, uh, you know, the rest of his companions. Um, but, you know, there's that moment when the when the raven is s- sitting there on the parapet next to him and looking at him, and I just would have wanted, like, a subtitle. Like, you know, I do not call this council good. Um, then, I would have, then I would have been perfectly fine. But, uh no, that's that's all. It's...
1: So you had a half a moment. It was a half a moment.
2: It it, it, it was. It was the appearance of Roach was a half moment. Yeah. I was I was glad he was there, but uh, it wasn't yeah. it wasn't yeah. perfectly satisfying.
0: Trish, do you have one?
1: I don't think I had one. Actually, to tell you the truth, I do not remember my answers, and there that was is, nothing that stood out at me. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I the same like, oh, way. No, I got that. Right.
0: I'm the same way. this movie yeah. more than either the other two. I was not sitting there with a with the laundry list of the riddles and my predictions
2: counting. Well, you know why? Because we ended the riddle game like four months ago, uh, so true, it yeah. seems like forever again. Yeah, maybe. yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, um,
1: yeah and I could have gotten back and reviewed, but um, I, yeah, I couldn't really think of anything like, oh, yeah, I got that right, or yeah, I knew that was going to happen. I just uh, well, I was disappointed that we didn't. You know, there was disappointments. Like I didn't. I was hoping we'd see Mordor. You know, re. Establish itself. We right? basically <clears throat> called it, you know, we, we got yeah. that kind of wound up. Maybe but. this is
0: really more a sign that we just didn't get anything right. <laughs>
1: Right, yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, I think that is yeah, what it is. I think true. I'm gonna suck again this that's year, true, just like we have every other year. Yeah. Man, I, I can Laura think of, is gonna be the winner.
0: As I think I can think of a, a long catalogue of things that we did that we predicted w- would happen and did not.
1: I know, and didn't I know. It's yeah, true. I
0: had a lot more moments it's of like true. of that where I'm like, Whoa, got that one wrong. Oh, I got and that
1: and one wrong. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna make a very weak just, self justification on this, which is back to my initial uh, foaming at the mouth point, which I was actually expecting Jackson to wrap his story up in, in this movie, which is yeah. what I base a lot of yeah. my answers on. Yeah. Right. So, ha, was I wrong? <laughs> oh, I made a fool of me yeah, there, Jackson. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he taught you a lesson. <laughs> yeah, um, really.
0: Okay, let's, uh, let's... We should probably start heading in the direction of wrapping things up, but but, but we do... I want to finish... <laughs> I want to finish on the Arkenstone and authorial intent, but I wanted to Author- ask okay, Trish yeah. if you had... Before we do but, that, if you had any other burning topics that you think you'd you'd really, uh, like well,
1: to I do have one, and I think we should I think we should lend it the same amount of time that it was given in the movie. Okay, Bayorn.
2: Okay. Uh, thank you.
1: <laughs> well, now, uh, okay, we're
2: done. Let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> No, I mean, as I Wasn't said, in the film, as it, so. I, I mean, this is repeating what I said on Thursday, but, you know, it's, I am shocked, shocked. Like, I mean, even on the on the, on the the most basic level of Peter Jackson had the opportunity to do a, a, a computer-generated enormous werebear throwing orcs all over the place, and he gave it to us yeah. for a second and a half. Um,
1: I know, I know. Yeah. That's amazing. You know what I would have actually liked to have seen? I would have liked to have seen, if we wanted to get a little bit more uh, aligned with the book, for for Bayorn to have accompany Thorin up to Raven Hill would have also been cool. Now, he didn't necessarily have to be in the final mano-a-mano deal, but it would have been nice to have some more screen time, and that could have been a way to do it, and have Thorin and Bayorn kind of be together as compatriots in the battle. But um, anyway, so... I was disappointed. I was like, this was another one. It's like, well, we kind of had talked about this. If you're not, I said this to Corey. Actually, I got very, I got very emotional about this. If you're going to have this little of him in the movie, don't have him at all. Radagast yeah. could have could have done the job that Bayorn did in the book. Uh, yeah. Just don't put Bayorn in. I, I think he that's actually. Movie.
0: I think that's a fair point. Across the three films, they they basically yes. they basically took Bayornish content and spread it across these two characters such that right. both both of these actually very interesting and very cool characters got the short shrift and played virtually no important role. You're right. It is very disappointing. I think it's too bad. You're right. They could have totally removed Bayorn and just given all of his his main his role to Radagast well, or they could have removed radagast yeah. and or, gave us more screen time or
1: yeah or if you're going to have bayorn be in the movie have him be in the movie yeah
0: you could have <laughs> you could have just done like you could have done about 10 minutes less of legolas running up falling stones yes <laughs> and instead replace and, and steering, it, steering actually you know that's the most baffling part fine take out take out legolas special effects and replace it with bayorn special effects which would be awesome why yeah. not? It would have
1: probably cost the same amount of money. So, yeah, hey, the
0: only reason to do that is just because they, they're they upset. Either they're in love with um, Orlando Bloom or they think that we're so in love with Orlando Bloom that we'd rather see him than a giant bear.
1: By the way – sorry, the way, I, I realize did I did engineer, just – No, no, no. Did, did, did you guys watch the Smaug interview with, with Stephen Colbert? Yes. Did you watch that? Yes. It's really hilarious. Okay, do you remember? Do you remember Smalk says, you know, something about because he was asking about mocap. Oh, it's difficult, you know, mocap. You green screen and you're basically talking to uh, uh, balls on a stick. And I'm not talking about Orlando Bloom. <laughs> 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 That's <was> so funny. <laughs> anyway, if you haven't seen it, Corey, you should watch it because it's really funny. And he really, he really does it. It's like, well, so and so uh, uh, Colbert like quotes. What do you think about being described as? And he quoted Tolkien directly. And he goes, Smock says, "Who said that? Did Peter Jackson say that?" And he goes, he goes, Colbert. Uh, Colbert says Tolkien said that. And I think he goes, "Who?" Or else he goes, uh, "Sorry, I, I haven't read the book." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was also that that. It was really, I think that interview. Really I think that interview was was in many ways better than a lot of the the writing. In it at least was better than a lot of the films. <laughs> yes, that's
1: true. That's true. Um, that's true. Anyway. Yeah, sorry th- for that, that was that really right disappointing.
0: There. No, Bayorn was was. Uh, they didn't even have to use him as they use him in the book. It just seemed really odd. Yeah, they, it, it's just another example of them them. You know, uh, like, seems seems as though they're torn between, oh, let's yeah. let's make this well, close to just, the book. Let's not make
2: this close to the book. They were following the book. <laughs> but, but Bjorn is another example. I mean, Bjorn, as he exists, if you, if you remove... I mean, I suspect that if you don't know The Hobbit at all, like people who are coming to this film in utter ignorance of Tolkien's story... Would probably just be confused by like, who is this guy? Why should I care? The scene in the in the beginning of the Desolation of Smaug would lead you to believe that you're supposed to care, you know, like. But then he vanishes, and you never hear from him again. So it's like, why? Why did we even spend that time? Like, and then like you see him flash for two seconds. You know, less than two. People keep saying two seconds. I'm not sure it was two seconds. Um, maybe it was. I mean, I guess if you get the whole thing with the, you know, between the glimpse of him. Anyway, maybe it was two seconds, possibly even three. Um, but, um, but, but I really do think that they were. And I actually need. The, the, well, I just to finish one last thing. Go ahead. The, 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 the additional. F- I mean, if you take the extended edition into account, um, and the, the, the complete, you know, the, and you add the whole, you know, unexpected party. Motif, you know, that they were doing there, you know, that they added into the, you know, and cut from the theatrical edition. All of it. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's way too much. But They're clearly, they're obviously wanting to follow the book. They don't want to leave him out because he was in the book, um, but they haven't integrated him into their story, in which case they should cut him.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah, I agree.
2: Uh,
1: well, and 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 I actually almost need I I kind of need to retract a little bit of what I posted on Facebook because I said something about um, that Bayorn is like the Tom Bombadil of the Hobbit. You know, you could do without him, but actually, actually, Tom Bombadil is more in is more part of the Lord of the Rings than Bayorn is of the Hobbit. I think. Um, you know, because I mean, Corey, you've talked about this—that there's a lot of things that hap- there's things that happen with Tom that actually forward the story, that made it kind of weird not to have him in it, kind of. Mm-hmm. Beorn, some stuff, but you, like I said, Radagast could have taken a lot of what Beorn had, mm-hmm. you know, his role. So, so actually, I think Beorn was probably even less needy, needful in the story than Tom Bombadil was to the Lord of the Rings adaptation.
0: Yeah, I think that's Does that true. Make sense? Yeah. I think that's true. Um. Yeah, I th- I think that's a, actually a good point. Uh, that the yeah, it, it is interesting they chose to cut Tom Bombadil out, despite the fact that he actually plays a fairly important role, advances the story, and some important things happen during that entire sequence. Uh, and that there's no no other character could possibly serve his role. Then in this film, they choose to include Bayorn, uh, who who could easily have abdicated his role to another character or or right. sort of. Or 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 cut it out. I mean, you can argue he's really important because he saved Thorne, but they didn't use him that way, so they don't really need
2: right. him. Exactly. Uh,
1: that's right, exactly.
2: Well, and that was another reason exactly. why like I wasn't making these objections after the second film because I didn't know how they were gonna bring his story to an end. Or right. you know, or if they were, in fact, they're not going to bring his story to an end. Um
1: Frankly, it was outside my reality that he would have so little screen time in the third movie after we, what we saw in the second movie. I just—I couldn't have guessed. I, it. I would never have predicted this at all. Nope. No.
2: Nope. No. Um, yeah. No, that's um, uh, um, yeah. I mean, you know, Brent points out we would have complained if he wasn't in it. Yeah. No. Exactly. Well, this is one of the reasons why adapting something like this. I mean. Adapting a book like The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings is always going to be a completely thankless job. Like, there's no pleasing people. Yeah. You know? Um, I mean, we're complaining about what they did with Bjorn. We're complaining. We would have complained bitterly if they'd left him out. Um, absolutely. And, and and this is something that I think has been made much clearer to me in in sort of the course of these discussions that we've been having and, you know... Fielding reactions from people and questions I've been asked and articles I've been linked to and everything, um, on the films is that it, the the breadth of people's expectations, you know, like what people will would be pleased by, um, in an adaptation film, are you know, varies so widely
0: yeah.
2: um, that it's literally impossible to please even the majority of people. Yeah. I think. Um, I mean, with any choice that you make.
1: Oh, I'll be see, honest- i Now, in in.
2: in Go ahead, it. Trish. Go ahead, Trish.
1: In, in an alternate universe, if 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 what had been done was what Dave was talking about, which is to basically take out Bayorn and have Radagast fill that role. And I could see reasons to do that in an adaptation, especially if you're trying to like marry it to Lord of the Rings. I mean I could see that. I could see Cory, you know, I could see us having this conversation and us saying, Oh, they didn't put Bayorn in, and Corey going, now wait a second, let's think about this. Radagast actually filled the roles. Let's look at the book, what Bayorn did. I mean I right. I think, truthfully, if they had done it right, I think I would have been talked around by Dr. Olson because he would have recognized the fact that they actually did do what Bjorn, they served the purpose of Bjorn in the movie by using red gas. So I don't think I would have been, I think I would have initially been disappointed, but I think I would have come around to not have Bjorn in it. And I do actually actually know that in previous adaptations, like state adaptations, Bjorn's been left out. um, Sure. Routinely.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's certainly one of the easiest characters to leave out.
1: yeah. And, and you know what? I'm going to my I, feeling is if you're going to if you're going to put him in the movie then put him in the movie. I mean, you know, have him play a role, have him do something, you know, that warranted all that investment I made in him.
0: I, I'm <laughs> going to defend myself. I don't think I would have necessarily complained if they'd left Bayorn out. I might have pointed out really? uh, if, if the uh, I I you know, I when people complain about when people complain about um I I you know, when people say, "Oh, you cut Tom Bombadil out." My response to that is Come on.
1: You're not going to put Tom Pompadilla in yeah, the Yeah, I mean, film. I got it. In oh, a, I mean, I was disappointed, yeah. but I got it. Yeah, and uh, not no,
2: just. My, I mean, my, my response to that, frankly, was and has always been thank, yeah, God, thank God they caught Tom out. Yeah, But a <laughs> catastrophe that would have been to try to do Tom Pompadillo. Yeah.
0: But, but also, from the, also, from the standpoint of like screen economy and, and using your time, like. I get it. Yeah, you know, when when I talk to, to when I talk to my wife about Lord of the Rings, what are the parts of the book that she complains about where she thinks it drags, the story drags a little bit? It's it's the old forest and that kind of stuff. Like I get yeah. it, you know, you, you yeah. can't put everything in the film and I think the way that they chose to do it worked okay. I would have been totally fine with cutting Bayorn out entirely if they're not gonna use him. Just cut him out and spend screen time on other stuff. We buy it. If you make a good mm-hmm. film, we'll accept it. And and, and 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 so if the implication is, if people are implying, crit-ficking and saying, well, I think Peter Jackson probably put him in there because he got so much flack about Tom Bombadil. No, I don't buy it. Peter Jackson's an adult. He understands he's going to get criticism. I, I don't think he's pandering. I don't think he's afraid of Tolkien fans complaining. Uh, I think he's making the film he wants to make, and that's what he should do and um so i'm going to take it at face value this is the story he wanted to tell he wanted to put Bjorn in there for some reason but then decided that he shouldn't appear ever again in the film and it seems <laughs> nonsensical and i'm not going right. to i'm not going to let him off the hook by saying oh well he probably you know we were holding him hostage to our expectations nope 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 he's an adult
2: well and we come back to Trish's initial point, you know, which is that when you're telling, uh, when you're doing an adaptation, the first and most important thing is that the story you tell has to be a good story. You know, yep. it has to right. hold together and stand on its own. Yep. Of course. This is why doing an adaptation is more challenging than just writing a good movie because it 's like a two body problem instead of a one body problem right i mean you 're you're, you're, you're not only trying to write and tell and depict a good story you 're trying to do that while also you know engaging uh, in in productive and interesting and and, and thoughtful ways with a, with somebody else 's story at the mm-hmm. same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah you're doing more in an adaptation than in than in you know a, a, a an original film a, you know a non a non adapted film um but you st- but that doesn't change the fact that you still have to do thing one which is tell a really good story that works and makes sense yeah. um and and I agree in the en- in the end of the day I cannot say that he succeeded in doing that in yeah. the hobbit films as a whole when I look at the trilogy as a whole I just can't I can't yeah. say that
0: All right Let's wrap up with um um well I guess it's not completely wrap up but uh let's let's move on to um one topic <laughs> we really want to talk about which is yes. authorial intent and specifically yes. as a case study look at the Arkenstone
2: The Arkenstone question. Okay. Well, here um I want to I've talked about this some before, but I want to come back to it again because it's it's extremely relevant with all the. I don't watch a lot of interviews. I don't listen. I've listened to some of the director commentaries in the Fellowship of the Ring, but I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't generally watch or read much author interviews and things. Um, and let me try to explain why. Um, <sighs> When I was in college and in grad school, um, that is to say when I was first being, you know, I was someone who always liked books and always considered myself like an English major kind of person, Um, when I actually became an English major and uh, went to graduate school, I was, of course, confronted with a lot of modern literary theory, um, you know, and I had to I had to deal with a lot of modern literary theories. And one of the main things that I objected to, and in those days I was a fiery opponent of much modern critical theory, principally on the grounds of ignoring authorial intent, um, the whole death of the author idea that and 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 I don't I have not reversed my position on that. Uh, in, in any significant way. It's changed, but the way that it's changed is not a reversal. Because see, what I was fighting against back in those days is the idea of mere subjectivism. is people who tried to say, um, there is no text, there is no story, there is no, all there is is like a construct in the reader's mind. Everything is subjective. It's all about what you, the reader, put into it and take out of it. Um, there is no thing there. Um, and I objected very, very strongly to that. And I would still object equally strongly to that. The terms that I used to oppose that kind of totally relativistic thinking um, was authorial intent. Uh, and one thing that I noticed, even at the time, was that many of the very critics who would say, on, who would one minute be saying, um, it does, you know, there is no objective thing, it doesn't matter, would the next minute be speaking as if they did, in fact, care what the author said. You know, some of their language would then betray the fact that they did think that about what Chaucer was thinking or whatever. Um, I was a medievalist, remember. Chaucer was a lot of what I was studying in graduate school. So, um, anyway, uh, what really changed the, the 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 single thing, once again, you know, just like last year with Critfic, uh, so this year with the author- authorial intent stuff, the thing that really uh, flipped the switch for me, the thing that, that really illuminated this question was the very simple distinction that C.S. Lewis makes in one of his critical essays. And when he's talking about authorial intention, and the, the distinction that he makes, and as soon as I read this distinction, it just changed the entire way I looked at this whole question. And what he said was, the author intends, the story means. There's a difference between intention and meaning. And what I realized was that that thing that I had been fighting for all along was not actually authorial intention. What I'd really been fighting for was meaning. Was to say that there is something there that you can... It is... it is... I I don't agree that um that you know one person's reading is just as good as another. I think that people can be very, very wrong in the way that they read books and that the readings that some people will make of things just do not in fact fit with what's there. And I think it can be demonstrated and I and I I I am very happy to say, okay, not happy, but I'm very willing to say, when necessary, this person is missing the point. They do not understand the meaning of this of this story. Um um, so again, I, so I'm very I am as as strongly non-relativistic in that way as ever I was. But what I, what sort of I recognized uh, in a flash, what I acknowledged in a flash, as soon as I read that distinction that Lewis made between meaning and intention, is that the intention of the author doesn't actually matter. All that much. And indeed, um, one of the reasons that it hit me as strongly as it did is that I had been, for a while, focused on the fact that there's often a large gap between authors' intention and the final product. And that can happen in lots of different ways. It may be that, it may be as a result of failure, you know, that the author intended to tell this one story, but that's not at all what's conveyed. You know, you you, you, you read the comments of something that an author says about what they were trying to do, and you read the actual book. And, I mean, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I have this experience where I'll, I'll read an author talking about the book, and I'm like, dude, have you read your book? That's not what you said. You know, like, that, that's not at all what this story does. Sometimes I think authors are very good readers of their own books. Um, sometimes they're not. But see, that's, the, that's, that's an important distinction between an author who says, tries to talk about what was in their head, or like the idea of the book that is in their head, and the author who actually reads their own book. Tolkien was a good reader of his own book. That's what made him so good at retcon, is that he he would actually talk about what was really there on the page. He would do analysis of his own text that he had written, not of his own ideas and his own conceptions, but of his actual own, uh, of his actual own text. But anyway, um, there are, of course, many cases in which the 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 book that in, in fact you know one thing that I had begun to notice before I had read uh, this Lewis article one of the things that I had been thinking about a lot was the number of times that authors especially authors who had written really really good books would say things like this book you know or you know to quote Tolkien again this tale grew in the telling right who would say. Um, you know, I didn't really have a plan, like these characters just came to life, you know, this story just unfolded and I didn't really know what was going on, uh, you, know, it, 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 you know, a lot of authors talk that way. And I find that interesting, and, and that, but again, so to me it's not about the author's intention. Um, I, don't want, I, I, I don't even feel that my own understanding of a story is enhanced, by hearing an author tell me stories about when they were writing it I'm kind of interested in that in for other reasons but not for under the reason of understanding the story this brings us back then to the hobbit films so there are several things first of all um I absolutely resist the idea that I uh, like basically if they need if I'm simply confused if I am if I am reading this story, right, if I'm, 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 so I'm watching these films, I am, I am, I am, I'm consuming the work of art, you know, that, uh, that these people have made. If after careful thought uh, and observation of this, I cannot see an answer to a particular question, which gets answered by one of the writers in an interview, that doesn't clear up or make me feel better about the, the movie. That proves that it's a failure, it proves that the thing that they intended did not come across, um, and 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 it's kind of in, I mean it's like a little bit interesting to hear what was actually in Philippa Boyens's head, but I am far less interested in what was in, in what is in Philippa Boyens's head than I am interested in what actually was put on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, to me that's in the end what matters. So again, if there are things that are only, that only make sense after um you know the writer laboriously explains, that's that's evidence of failure. Um you know to 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 that extent the story has failed. But more importantly, um Any author, and I include Tolkien in this. I mean, I've, you know, people who have been listening to me for a long time will know there are a bunch of things I disagree with Tolkien's own analysis about. You know, places where I differ with him um, in my interpretation of his work. Um, Most notably, of course, in his rejection of the Hobbit narrator later in his life. He he concluded that the narrative voice of the Hobbit, um, especially in the early chapters, um, was condescending, and, uh, uh, and he regretted doing it. I absolutely disagree with him. I do not think that that is how the narrator works. Um, I think he is flat wrong in his own reading of his, own, of his narrator um, in The Hobbit when he looked back on it 30 years later. Um, I disagree with him even more strongly. Uh, in in his later in life expressed desires to go back and cut out the creation of the sun and moon and more importantly i disagree with him for the reasons that he felt he needed to go back and take out the 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 uh making of the sun and moon and the uh the the making the earth round and everything those those mythic elements in the silmarillion um I, I, I disagree with him in general, and I strongly disagree with the reasons that he cites for why that needs to happen. Um, and, and, and I don't have any shame about doing that. The author writes the work. Afterwards, in it, when the author is responding to the work, the, I do not believe the author has any more... At that point, the thing is in the public domain. Okay, like the thing is I mean, not legally, I'm not talking about you know copyright issues, but I'm saying when you publish the thing, when it's out there, now we as readers have as much right to comment on it as you, the author do. The author can't tell me, here's what the book really means. The author can say, "Here's what I was thinking, here's what I was trying to convey, and I might be interested or might not be interested in what any particular author says about what they were trying to convey, but the author cannot say here's what the book really means. It's like, dude, that's not your business anymore. It is, up, it is up now for the readers to perceive what is there. In fact, in many ways, the authors are quite bad, or are, I frequently find authors bad judges of what their books mean, because all they can see, so, so often all they can see is what they intended, and often what they intended is not the same as what the book actually says or mm-hmm. what the book actually does. So in some ways, I almost discount author uh, statements about like the true meanings of of you know like the, the main themes or ideas of books I'm interested to see that's what you were thinking about I am not necessarily convinced that that's what the book actually right. says or what the movie actually does
0: and of course that is fully consistent with um uh, with um, uh, Tolkien's own feelings when he talks about his dislike for allegory and he and he and he yes. says the reason he doesn't like he specifically says that it's the difference between. Purposeful domination of the author, and uh, and then interpretation and, and application is li- resides within the freedom of the reader. So 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 certainly, I think he would be supportive of this. He might argue with you about an interpretation of his books, but he wouldn't say he wouldn't he wouldn't say that you're not entitled to your own interpretation.
2: Right, right. Now, um, you know, Brent is saying, and and it's very sensible, that what I'm saying still sounds somewhat subjective. Um, It's not subjective. The the, the difference is um, there is no authoritative thing. That is to say... I don't believe that it's all relative. I don't believe that yeah. everyone's reading or reaction is equally valid. They're not all equally valid. Yeah. Sometimes people say really dumb things about books and movies that I think are demonstrably inaccurate. Um, but it's um, it's kind of more like the scientific process. You know, you can disprove things, but you can't prove, you know, almost nothing in science is proven, right? It just hasn't been disproven yet. You know, you, it's it's hard to it's hard to say, this is exactly what happens. You can come up with a theory that seems to explain it, and if it stands up for long enough, you know, without being disproven, then you accept it as a theory, you know, and say, yeah, well, that's probably what happens, right? Um, I do think that there is, you know, and this, you know, begins to get metaphysical, um... I do believe that there is, you know, a meaning. You know that 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 there is something that could be called the real meaning of the text. I think that there is a best reading of the text. Do I think my own reading is the best reading? Heck, no. Most of the time, it's very, you know, my own readings are very often informed by the readings of others and that emerge from conversations with others. But I think that sort of we as readers—that's one of the reasons why I do what I do. It's one of the reasons I love teaching. Not because I think I have like all of this amazing insight to distribute to people, um, but because that process of analysis and discussion is the way by which we as a group can come closer to, uh, to meaning, can find, uh, you know, can can um, get closer to something that I think is that I think is real. Can the author contribute to that after the fact? Yeah, maybe sometimes they do, um, but uh, but again, there's no there doesn't exist... So I mean, I agree... Um, you know, in some sense, I agree more with uh, modern critical theory that says like, you know, there is no you know, sort of external like, this is exactly the meaning. You know, the author can't declare this is the meaning of the book. Um, but that doesn't mean I think it's subjective. It's purely suggestive. It's subjective. It doesn't mean that I think everybody's reading is equally valid. It's not. Um, but... Anyway, so all of this comes, you know, so, so this is why I don't, um, you know, coming back to the, coming back to the, um, back to the Arkenstone um, stuff, uh, um, I, um, I, what the story does is inconsistent I mean, the the, the implications that the Arkenstone has greater significance is there. What I dislike about what happens in the third film is that I must choose one of two things. I must choose either um, to be disappointed in the ending and think they dropped the ball at the end, or I have to say that the story was incoherent from the beginning because it was out there but coherent in the first two films. Mhm. Uh-huh. The arkenstone has some significance some significance that is greater than a symbol. You know, it's not just like a you know, it's it's not merely a gem. It is not it is not merely um you know, it's not like the crown, like Thor's crown, for instance. You know, it's not just like, well, if I'm not actually wearing Thor's crown, the other dwarves won't pay any attention to me, so I've got to go in and steal Thor's crown and put it on my head, and then if I'm actually wearing Thor's crown, then the other dwarves will take me seriously. That was not the story. Like, the Arkansas story was not the same as that kind of a story. I mean, if it was, it would have been silly, because that's a silly idea you know, that they're going to take him seriously just because he happens to be holding this one rock, however, however valuable or pretty that rock might be. Um, or even how much symbolic significance it has in being tied to the kingship. Um, again, I just, I do not think that that story works. The way that they talk about it Um, suggests that it has some kind of actual role, that it will be efficacious in establishing, somehow, though they don't explain it in the first two films, this alliance. And then when it doesn't happen, either I have to see that as them dropping the ball at the end, or I have to see that as them incompetently setting it up from the beginning. And basically, so, you know, the things that Philip Boyan says in her interview convince me only that uh... the failure lies not in the third film but in the first two then um, you know that their dialogue about the arkenstone was misleading and that um, the story that they were telling was actually far less coherent than our error about their about the arkenstone story in the second film um, which was invited by their dialogue led us to believe so it's basically it's either a failure or a worse failure therefore um, and, uh, you know, but, but again, like, I don't care. Philippa <laughs> Boynes can say until she's blue in of the a,
0: face. That's a heck of a choice. Failure or worse failure.
2: Philippa Boynes can say until she's blue in the face that she never intended the Arkenstone to be anything more than what it was. And But I, but again, I say, well, okay, but the second film made it out to be more. Mm-hmm. Um, if that was your intention, you failed to convey that intention. Yep. Um, you Because the, the, the other films do indeed convey more than that. Um, And and I, I, I think that's pretty clear. I mean, then it's misleading and, and was, and was poorly, was poorly written. And and Um,
0: what, and what is more, what is more, the entire reason for the, um, the entire reason for the quest is to recover the Arkenstone. Absolutely. The reason Bilbo was brought along was because they needed a burglar to, to steal the Arkenstone, which by the way, was a great change. (laughs) Like, like they were yes. definitely heading in the right direction. They're like, like, okay, yeah, this makes a lot more sense than like we're gonna bring a burglar because burglars can help steal treasure, and we gotta steal mountains of treasure. And this Hobbit will opposite. Like, they were heading in the right direction, um, and 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 then they just, you know, they went incoherent in terms of the role and importance, significance, and potential powers of the Arkenstone Stone, and then literally just dropped it. Like just,
2: just dropped it. Yeah, just it, it, one it, it vanished. Yeah. I mean, in the third film, had I just come to the third film, I would have thought, like, wow, look, the Arkenstone is exactly the same in the film as in the book. Yeah. Whereas from the very first time the Arkenstone was introduced in film one, mm-hmm. we were all like, wow, clearly the Arkenstone is much more in the film than it was in the book. Like, the Arkenstone has a much greater significance in the film than it had in the book. Mm-hmm. Nothing could have been clearer than that in the first two films and not only did it have a greater significance it had a greater role in the plot but then in the third film its role in the plot and its significance as a as an item you know as a as a as a, was exactly the same as in the book i mean it didn't it it, 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 it was it was almost the, the following of the book in that with the arkenstones with the use of the arkenstone was almost slavish i mean think of the questions that we were asking before I mean when when we were talking about what's bilbo going to do with the arkenstone during season 3 remember one of the things that i was emphasizing with given the fact that the 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 stealing of the arkenstone the burgling of the arkenstone out of the mountain and bringing it back to the dwarves mm-hmm. was the entire focal point like that is what bilbo was hired to do and it is crucial it is explicitly Made explicit to us as viewers and to Bilbo personally, it is explicitly necessary. It is the it is the pivot point of the dwarves entire plan. And remember I said earlier in this year, that puts enormous pressure on Bilbo's decision to give the Arkenstone away. Yep. Because in the book it wasn't it was like a personal betrayal of Thorin to some extent, but motivated by personal compassion for Thorin. In the film, they put Bilbo in the position of if he's going to give over the Arkenstone to the elves and humans, he is consciously throwing a monkey wrench in the entire plan. He's consciously saying the entire superstructure of your whole purpose, I'm going to kick the foundation out from under it. It, was a, it, it. They made it into a much bigger betrayal, and yet that didn't ever come up ever in the third film. You would never have even guessed that that build-up had been made in the second film, by what they put in the third film. Um, yeah, it's just, I... 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 Um,
0: I it, it is... It's.
2: And again, and no explanations. I don't care. No explanations change that. The story is still what it is. The films still show what they show. And then, like, is the story going to be altered by the extended edition? Maybe it will. Maybe it will. And I'll be interested to see that. I'm skeptical because neither of the other two extended editions have really changed the story in no. any significant
0: way. No, it, it, um, and it almost seems, I. It seems very unlikely. Because the, the, the extended editions for all previous five Peter Jackson Middle-Earth films have not made super substantive changes to the story. And that makes sense, right? Like, if, if you have material in the extended edition that was critical to telling the story you really wanted to tell, why did you not put it? So, so I would argue, if in fact what people are saying is true, oh, just wait for the extended edition, it's going to completely change the story, then they screwed up. That makes yeah, things if worse. If it does,
2: that's just a different kind of failure. Yeah, yeah, that means that means
0: that means that they're idiots. They're morons <laughs> who could not edit the right film. Like that's right. not a defense. That's not make. That's not letting them off the hook. That's not saying, oh well, you know, it's unfortunate. No, that means they can't make a film. They don't know how to edit. Which there's actually a lot of evidence they don't know how to edit. <laughs> but like I, I just that doesn't like. There's no way around this. The this 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 problem. Like they. Their story with the Arkenstone, it just seems to be incoherent, and their comments on the side, one, don't repair the film, you know what I mean, like, 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 uh, yeah. because, because it yeah. doesn't matter what they meant, you know, like in, in terms of our enjoyment interpretation of the story. Uh, two, their comments don't actually help. So far, nothing Philip Aboyans or Peter Jackson has said has actually really made anything any clearer to me. Like, Philip Aboyans' comments about the Arkenstone are just more confusing, because they conflict with what they actually did in the previous films, yes. like her hints that like oh this is what we really meant and you'll see in the extended edition. Well, if that's true, then that means the extra content you're claiming is in the extended edition is just going to make things more confusing because it's gonna be it's gonna be utterly incoherent when placed in the context of what they've previously done.
2: Um, yeah. Yes, yeah. so I just you know, but 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 to me. To me the crucial thing that I wanna that I you know, that, that I just really wanna emphasize is the story is the story. The story is not altered mm-hmm. by commentary made by the authors of that story after yeah. the fact. Um again, the authors are oh,
1: perfectly you boy, know, no kidding.
2: are perfectly able to to convey their ideas. I mean, it's, you know, they're welcome to say what the, but though though I usually don't like it when they do. I mean this is I mean I've joked about this many times. This is why I so much prefer comfortably dead authors. Um, comfortably dead I say because <laughs> which doesn't include Tolkien. Tolkien is not in the category of comfortably dead authors because his son is still around. Um, so no 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 no. Chaucer is a comfortably dead author. Shakespeare is a comfortably dead author. Okay. There isn't anybody who's going to be looming up and, tra- and 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 making any uh, basically claiming any authority over interpretation of the story that is inappropriate to an author. Um, uh, anyway, so I, 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 it's so much more fun. Uh, and, you, I, I, out
0: of curiosity, let's let's bring this back to the, the books a little bit. Um, how do you read Tolkien's letters?
2: I was going to mention Tolkien's letters. Um, Tolkien does, at several points in his letters, I think, fall to the temptation of trying to control interpretation. Mm-hmm. um and there are moments where it's not as dramatic as this i mean it certainly isn't as like oh did that make no sense at all well let me tell you some stuff that does make it make sense retroactively um Tolkien doesn't go that way for, well mostly because his stuff was more coherent to begin with but um uh but but there are moments where he 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 does um want to Sort of control interpretation. Yeah, he does want to say here's what the meaning of the story is. He Speaks in a
0: corrective voice when someone asks exactly. a question. He corrects them. But you know, but most of the time he doesn't. Most of the time, when you read and you read his tone, he oftentimes conveys uncertainty. Hey, what yes. happened with the the entwives? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know, some people say this, some people say that. So he often explicitly conveys uncertainty, and in cases where he doesn't it's he sounds in tone the same as any one of us does when we're explaining the books like it sounds it sounds like he's interpreting his books
2: right and expressing like i said i do think that tolkien does um does actually i mean there are times when i listen to authors and it's like do you even realize the gap between what you're describing and what's there like it's not it's not there you know Mm -hmm. i mean like i i totally believe that that's what you tried to say it's not there in the book yeah um and and, and and I wonder, like, did you actually, like, have you reread it recently? You know, like, when it wasn't, for, you know, uh, uh, and, you know, I mean, we've all had the experience of writing something and then going back to reread it like five years later when the thing that we're actually consuming is what's on the page and not what's in our head because it's long since faded from our heads. Yep. And you go back and read what you are And, of course, the majority of the times you do that and you're like, oh, my gosh, like, oh, this is awful. I can't
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: believe I said this.
2: That never I mean, happens so to really, Trish. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure we've all had and that laughing
1: in recognition
2: right but um but but like basically I, I wonder like you know some authors like they don't do that like they still like what's in their head is still the thing is still the text they're responding to you know and which is I, I mean again I can sympathize with that I completely sympathize with that um but um but I do think that Tolkien actually did go back and read his text, and he does often respond, and I agree about that other tone as well. Think about Leaf by Niggle, those of you who know Leaf by Niggle, you know, remember the tone of voice, and I always emphasize this when I'm teaching Leaf by Niggle, the way in which the narrator in Leaf by Niggle describes Niggle's relationship with his painting. Right, and it's always the language there is not. Then Niggle thought of you know he decided that he wanted to uh, you know to paint mountains in the background. Rather, it's like then he got a glimpse of mountains behind the trees, and he tried to he tried to to capture those in the painting. Um, you know he had um, you know birds came and 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 you know took nest and 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 had to be attended to. Right, that's the language that that the narrator of *Leaf by Niggle* u- uh, uses. That kind of like lang- that species of language about his story. The idea that like this story is just unfolding, he is a mere observer of his story, not an inventor of his story. That to some extent the story is something happening to him and that he himself is discovering, and concerning which he remains largely ignorant, um, is, is, is a tone which is very frequent in Tolkien's letters. Um, and I admire that. You know, I mean, that. And that's a tone that, Tolkien's not unique in that. Lots of writers um, and I think not coincidentally lots of writers of really great books talk like that um, and uh, uh, so you know whereas authors whose books are less great it seemed to me to be more often to be posturing you know that they are the masterminds completely in control i um, not talking about anyone no in
1: specifically names. not naming no. names <laughs>
2: Not naming any particular names uh, here. But, um, uh, <laughs> but, but anyway, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, that, that 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 sense of the author is himself on a voyage of discovery and we as readers are going along with them. Um, Tolkien did maintain, you know, did use that tone a lot in his letters. There are moments when he does seem to get like, no, 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 no you're getting it wrong. But it's hard because, see, I can't really fault him for that. Because, um I mean, I would be, I would, I I would, I know I would do the same thing. I mean, I do do the same thing. If somebody reads my book and says, well, you made this argument about the Hobbit, I'd be like, no, 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 that's not what I meant, that's not what I said. Um, But see, notice I just contradicted myself. Like, I said, first I said it's not what I meant, and then it's not what I said, right? The question is, which one of those things is true? (laughs) Did I say this thing and I failed to convey what I really meant? Or is the person who's responding actually being inaccurate about what I said? Both of those things happen. You know, as sometimes people say things that are... you know, and, and, and I think that this is true of Tolkien, too. Some of the things that uh, people say about Tolkien's books, um, they're simply getting it wrong. And when he, like, leaps to correct them interpretively, um, I totally agree, you know, I, I think that his reading is very much better than the reading of the person he's responding to. I think he's just right. Um, but anyway, you know, that... that it, in that moment, that he's correct and 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 his critic is incorrect there, um, but um,
1: the, the other thing the other thing that I have found about Tolkien's letters that I think people and I Corey you you actually woke me up to this and I am now you know a big carrier of the banner um, is you've got to take into account who he's writing to. Yes, you've got to because he, he he wrote to his audience, you know. And, I, and the one I'm thinking of in particular isn't even a letter. I don't think that's even in his um, in his book. It's it's a letter he wrote to. A, uh, she was a young girl at the time, and she was a budding writer. And they carried on a correspondence for some time. And she published some of his letters, and you know. So some of what he what he writes to her is is in the vein of sort of being a writing mentor. But you could take it out of context and, and create completely false conclusions from what he said to her if you don't take into account the context of what he's writing.
2: Right, right. And yeah, I that's think that's true.
1: true for many of the letters in, in the book.
2: Right. And 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 I in turn uh, learned that from verlin Flieger, that is a major dicta uh, dictum of hers, you know, that that, that she also you know, always must remember, never forget to look at the address at the top. Um and who right. you know the, he And whether
1: to... it was actually sent also because right. they put a lot of drafts in there, right? There were ones that right. actually never got sent. Right. Right. So, you
2: know. Right. Goodness. uh, You know, it's, I mean, it's, whenever I read collections of letters, I'm always thinking about, I'm like, the horror. Imagine someday somebody <laughs> publishing the contents of my sent mail uh, folder, you know, but worse, it's worse than that. They're going to publish the, the contents mail. of my drafts as well. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, that's
2: right, the drafts, yeah. Hey. I mean, how many times have all of us like fired up, like, you know, uh, sat down in a passion and, like, typed out this long, really ill-advised email, which we never sent. Fortunately, like at the last minute, you right. come to your senses and, like, maybe I should kind to 100 before i push send on this right imagine that getting published later on and yeah. people being like here's an expression of his true views and his you know considered opinion oh my goodness um i know um, so let's see. Brent asks, "How does anyone reach uh, the objective meaning?" Then, uh, well, he's responding. We can go up a, a second. Brent says, "If meaning is objective, then the author could correct someone on an obvious misreading." Then, right? Yes, I'm not saying the author can't contribute to that discussion. Only that the author does not have a unique and authoritative role in that discussion.
0: Yeah, nor do they um, have untrammeled access to that objective meaning
2: no not at all they don't you know and and, and indeed it may possibly be uh, and in some cases i think is that their intentions blind them to the actual meaning yep. uh, you know to, to, to that objective meaning especially when there is a gap when there is a difference yep. between what they intended to write and what they actually did write yep. um and, you know, and, and what actually emerged so um so no i i'm not i'm not attempting to exclude the author from that discussion certainly as somebody who knows and again this is a this is a cs lewis thing um as somebody who knows the content of the book at least as well as anybody else does right um, presumably the author is more is is at least as familiar as anybody else with like what words you know she did and did not use right um well, in that case, like certainly for that reason, the author may be, in fact, a much better reader, much you know, be in a much better position to evaluate the meaning of the book than other readers. But again, it's not that, that person, that the author, has a, an a priori authority over the meaning, or can or can decree, can decree this is what the meaning is. That's not up to you. So that, but so then, Brent, your 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 follow up question was: so how does anybody reach the objective meaning? Um, uh, with fear, trembling, and difficulty, is how you read it, and, and, and uncertainty. Um, you know, can we ever know for sure that we've reached No, we can't ever know for sure. But, you see, this is why I never get tired of talking about The Lord of the Rings. This is why I can teach the same books over and over and over again, year after year, yeah. and not be bored by it. Yeah. Because every fresh reading, every fresh discussion... Um, you know, uh, brings me to sort of new thoughts and new appreciation. The meaning, you know, to say, like, what is the meaning of a work, even to sort of say that is sort of reductive. Like, it doesn't really do justice to what's actually happening there. You know, to... I mean, and again, this starts to get a little bit metaphysical again, but um, but experience, in experiencing, you know, understanding the meaning of a book is more like is more like getting to know a person than it's like understanding a geometrical theorem, you know? It's not like I can state in one or two sentences, the meaning of this book is, you know, write a couple sentences, maybe even a short paragraph, and say, there, that's it. That's the meaning of this book. It's not about that at all. Um, again it's more like getting to know a person Um, and uh, because it's very it's 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 large and complicated and you can you can generalize about some major themes and ideas that the book gets to and 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 those don't change I mean I've not had a radical transformation of my understanding of the Lord of the Rings in a long time um you know I I I I feel you know I've I I I feel pretty confident Um, you know I, I in the sort of the larger themes that I and other readers have, you know, sort of together collaboratively come to. Um, But there are many elements of it or ways of thinking about it or, or or particular applications of it or, um, you know, uh, things that, um, that, that, that are, that continue to be unfolded. And anyway, so, so, so. Corey, are you a, uh, are you an
0: existentialist? (laughs)
2: <laughs> no you but, sound very
0: uh, you sound very uh uh kirk Kierkegaard- you sound positively Kierkegaardian right now
2: well you know i mean there are times <laughs> there, there are there are elements in most philosophies that I, I i i think there are very few philosophies in the world that are 100% wrong yeah um a couple but not too many uh, <laughs> um you know so so yeah, I mean everybody gets something a little bit, right? That um, that
0: is my I mean the, the, but what you're saying what you're saying um uh well I don't I think what you're saying is subtly different from what he's saying, what he says about religion, which and he was he he was writing in reaction to sort of the you know kind of the historical movement of religion of like let's discover the historical truth of the gospel right. and and what right. he was basically saying is is if that's your if that's your um, criterion for faith to believe that as soon once I can prove the historical accuracy of the gospel then I'll believe you'll never get there because it's because you're you'll you're rapidly approaching but will never you'll never approach you know it's not a thing that's actually objectively measurable and I think in some sense that's what we're arguing here like the subtle difference between what you're saying and pure relativism or subjectivism is not a rejection of true objective meaning but no, rather but rather a recognition of its of its sort of almost unobtainable nature, or our or, yeah. or, or our our um, weakness and inability to actually get yeah. there directly.
2: Yeah, it, it, it's not at all to say there's no such thing as objective meaning. It's yes. just to recognize that we are imperfectly wise. You know, yes. I, 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 we we don't get it. Um, and we're not always going to agree and i don't think any i i would be very surprised to find that any one reader of a book got that book you know got it completely right you know was 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 completely yeah. on about the meaning um which again is why collaboration and discussion is so good and so important yeah um and uh, and so this.
0: so this is not a rejection of of authors comments about their own works um, but rather, but rather a, a rejection of the notion that they are the definite that they dictate meaning, or they're the yes. definitive or authoritative authoritative source of it. Um exactly. And also, like, also the way in which they handle that. If Philip Aboyans, if upon at being asked about the Arkham Stone, simply said how she views it. Here's what I think about it. You know, just talked in that tone, like here's the role that the, author, the, the, the does as opposed to trying to like explain what she was trying to do with it.
2: Um, and it's, it's very natural. And, you yeah. know, I, I wouldn't be at all surprised to learn that Philippa Boyens was herself frustrated by this. Like if you got Philippa Boyens really drunk and asked her, do you think these <laughs> movies are good? You know, do you think that you succeeded in, in these movies? I have a kind of suspicion that off the record, and she'd never admitted, I, I think she would say no. I, I, I suspect she would, I, I suspect that in her heart of hearts, Philippa Boyens does not believe that these films were a rousing success. Um, right. It's just a guess, I have no idea. But, um, but even the fact that she's doing that kind of like, this is what was really going on thing, I mean, it's almost an admission of failure, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but yep. anyway, it's it's uh, uh, it's it's it, I you know I don't mean you know I certainly don't I mean I'm not trying to diss Philip boyans in in, in, in in saying these things. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about it in much more general terms. Um, but uh, anyway, I, I boy um, Corey man, I
0: think I think I think. Uh, I think you've already. I think you've laid out uh, um, uh, the beginnings of a of a curriculum for a really excellent Mythgard <laughs> course on <I've>... authorial <laughs> intent in fiction.
2: I think that would be amazing. In fantasy. Uh, yeah, I've been. It's something I've been thinking about. Um, it's something I've been thinking about. <laughs> I think
0: that would be oh, because yeah. it would be so like. Do Lord of the Rings and, and, um, well, all of Tolkien's works and his letters, do J.K. Rowling and her extensive um, uh, ongoing interviews and inability to keep her mouth shut? Um, I'm sure there's other, I imagine C.S. Lewis has written extensively about his own works. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, And it's some of that in that context. I mean, the the thing that I really like about C.S. Lewis is uh, on criticism, um, which uh, which is the article that Lewis wrote that both my crit fit, my crit fic speech and my uh, meaning and I mean, both of those are from that from that essay that he wrote yeah. on criticism. Um, and the cool thing about on criticism is that he's writing the, the purpose of that article is that he's writing a work of criticism about lessons he's learned about how to do criticism well or poorly based on his experience as a writer hearing other critics comment on his writing. So, so, so it's like so many different levels of exactly that kind of thing. Like C.S. Lewis was was actually like one step ahead in thinking through it's not just like c.s lewis commenting on his writing but c.s lewis commenting on people commenting on his writing and commenting, like on, his on, writing. Own, <laughs> commenting on his own reactions to people commenting on him commenting on his writing <laughs> and you know so, so yeah it's 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 a, it's a wonderful article in that way i really just i really just love it and then kate neville points out that i just have to throw in boethius and then it would be good so yeah i agree there we go. Okay, yeah. Right. Needless to say, so, we'd uh, we'd have to we'd have to do. Um, I mean, because it's pretty much all Mythgard courses that I teach have to include both uh, the uh, both Boethius's Consolation of Philosophy and on fairy stories. Uh, those are required reading for like every single class that I've ever taught. So, yeah, you know. I,
0: wonder, I you know, I haven't looked at all at George R. We should make that uh,
1: we should make the requirement for admission.
0: <laughs> yeah, what, what kinds of stuff does George R. R. Martin say about his part. stuff? I, I've never, well, lo- yeah. I've never th- looked at that. Yeah,
2: uh, yeah. It, 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 it would be interesting. And it's actually, thinking of Tolkien in particular, it is a class I've kind of toyed with doing, actually. I've kind of toyed with doing um, like a uh, uh, Tolkien on Tolkien work, you know, like that is uh, looking at all of the things that Tolkien wrote about the things that he wrote. Um, in order to that would be interesting, actually. sort of looking at it, you know, so you combine a lot of the history of Middle Earth stuff, you know, a lot of the commentary that he wrote, um, you know, on his earlier stories, as well as his letters um, and uh, you know, and 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 some of his essays. There's there's actually there's really a lot there. Um, that would be uh, that would be uh, that class would take a lot of prep, but um, but uh, but it is an idea that I've kind of toyed with.
0: I think that we should probably
2: let the long-suffering people go. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think
0: we may have to save uh, way too soon speculation about the legacy of Peter Jackson's films um, for later. Yeah, yeah. Well, and don't forget,
1: we're going to be doing um, we're going to be doing episodes about the riddles after uh, MythMoot, so we'll have plenty of commentary. And
0: And I think the legacy Uh, thing, I think that's a question that requires some stewing. Um, um, But it, but I don't know if you guys just want to like for like. 30 seconds if you want to just, like, pitch it. I I personally, I was just reading that Boston Globe article
1: um, yeah. uh, that you are quoted it's in, indeed. Corey. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and toward the end of it, let's see, this one guy, Noble Smith, the Wisdom of the Shire yeah. guy says, he thinks future generations will consider Jackson's Middle-Earth films a cinematic masterpiece when taken as a whole. Ultimately, I think people will forgive the indulgent bits and the places where he and his team strayed from Tolkien's original tale. And there's a lot of comments about how, This has changed the landscape of cinema, that Peter Jackson, you know, at least with Lord of the Rings, did so many things differently. Filmed them in New Zealand, convinced a major studio to fund a film about, um, you know, a, a fantasy novel, blah, blah, blah. I think all of that is actually true, and that at least the cultural legacy of these films is actually going to be quite positive and successful. I don't know if people look back and think, I don't think anyone's going to look back and say that Hobbit trilogy, those are some great films. I think they'll always be compared to the Lord of the Rings and, and, and found wanting in comparison to Lord of the Rings. Um, Yeah. But I think Jackson's overall legacy, I think will be quite positive provided provided that he pulls a George Lucas and decides to bow out gracefully at this point. Uh, I think if he, if, if he is convinced to come back again and he, he, in a recent quote said, "Uh, you know, I I could see maybe coming back if they asked me, you know, do do some more films. It's like, I I think if he does that, it'll be a huge mistake. I think we will be overexposed and and we will get tired of him rapidly. I think he needs to bow out now. I agree.
2: I agree. I, I mean, the number one thing that I, I mean, my my very quick answer to what is peter jackson's legacy is going to be uh the the next lord of the rings films that are going to happen in like 10 years that's that's peter that is the fact peter jackson has put it has put tolkien tolkien has never left the map you know i mean he's never been irrelevant you know he was he was he was winning author of the century polls before the films came out and you know it, it so Tolkien's popularity was never actually in 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 risk of fading to zero. Um but he has you know his Lord of the Rings films especially were so good that um it has it has made that into a culture it has made it almost certain that we're going to continue getting stuff like that and I'm glad.
1: Well I, it's I made think, it's I made of from a business standpoint, so in right. other words, funding for future movie is he's secured funding. In other words, he's opened the gate, the door for future adapters to get funded, basically, because of the popularity of the movies.
2: Right. Exactly. And um. And I. And, and I think you know, thinking of of even. Um, I mean, as uh, you know, Kate Neville points out, you know, Jackson made the you know the Game of Thrones series possible. Um. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that seems that seems yeah, pretty clear. Yeah.
1: True. Um. And, and Galavant, uh, which is coming up on ABC,
2: <laughs> <right. Yeah.
1: laughs> it's right. supposed to be a funny, funny fantasy thingy. I don't know, but anyway, that all stems but, back to Tolkien,
2: right? So I but but thinking of like more concretely, I suspect that um, the the visuals in particular, you know, not like this, but I think that the 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 visual conception, the, you know, the artistic conception. Of Tolkien's Middle Earth as we got it in Jackson's film, you know f- everything from the you know from the, the the sets to the costuming to the casting to the uh, landscapes. I think that those things are going to be very. Uh, I mean, we're still going to be seeing, <clears throat> you know, references, to, you know, nods to. The, I mean, I could see that having almost uh, you know a, a very similar kind of impact. Um, I, I think about the way that uh, Tolkien, him, the kind of impact Tolkien himself had on the fantasy genre, you know, that people so take for granted because there's so many things that they assume. Um, yeah. Uh, like, uh, you know, like people talk about, uh, you know, orcs. Like, why are, why are orcs always given the short end of the stick, you know, in fantasy stuff? And I'm like, no, why do orcs exist in fantasy? Tolkien made up that word. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it's, it's, orcs weren't a thing until Tolkien. Elves were nothing like they are. Um, until tolkien, um, you know the reason the reason that elves uh you know uh, shoot bows and have you know and and you know are are like tall beautiful people with uh, with bows um, uh, is because of tolkien that 's why they 're that and they 're not little small you know dragonfly winged creatures, which is what they were until tolkien um, you know for the hundred years before tolkien um, anyway so it, it's it's I suspect that Just as things, you know, like you read the first edition Dungeons & Dragons Monster Manual and so many of the things are just like taken straight from Tolkien and those things have just entered the culture to such an extent. Um, You know, elves, dwarves, orcs, dragons, all of the things that that we got from Tolkien and have forgotten that we got them from Tolkien and are now, you know, uh, the standard part of fantasy culture. I think a lot of Peter Jackson's Depiction choices are going to have a similar impact on future fantasy film. Um, mm-hmm. You know that people are going to are going to make particular choices about how elves should dress, or dwarves should dress, or um, you know what particular kinds of place, what an what a dwarf stronghold should look like, what an elf um, you know uh, what like an elf city looks like. I think that those things are going to be influenced by Jackson's visual choices. Um, in in sort of a similar way, I think that the, his legacy there is going to be long standing.
1: Yep. Yeah, I, I agree. I actually think um, I think uh, these movies, of course, will be the standard against which future adaptations will be compared. No question about it. And I agree with you about the visuals and sort of you know what comes to mind. I mean, I find that happens with me now. Even when I read the books, I've still got you know I've got Jackson's visuals in my head oftentimes now. Um, I think the. Turning to the movies themselves, I believe that going forward they will be looked at as the whole six, the set of six. I don't know that as time goes on, uh, you know, they will get separated out as as the Hobbit and then the Lord of the Rings. I think I think, you know, the further we get away from these in time, not only are they gonna be looked at as a set of six, but I think the rough edges are going to smooth out. You know, future generations will not be looking at many of the things we talked about today. So I think generally speaking I I I think, generally speaking, I think in the popular culture, I don't think they're going to be as picky. I mean, I think, oh, well, here's the other piece of it. I think this is going to be great for the academic community. I mean, there are courses upon courses upon courses that can now be given about Tolkien, about adaptation, about, you know, storytelling. I mean, you know, this is, like, great. But I think in the popular culture, like I told a friend of mine yesterday, she said, should I go see it? And I said, well, did you see the other two? And she said, yeah. And she's not a Tolkien scholar. She doesn't even, I mean, she basically read the books a long time ago. And I said, no, I think you'd enjoy it. <laughs> I said, go see it. I think you'd enjoy it. I do think in the popular culture, I think it's going to end up getting smoothed out in their in their opinion, in their heads. So go Maybe. ahead, disagree I, with me. You're
2: well, I could much more easily see the three Hobbit films. It's not as extreme as the two Star Wars trilogies, but I, I, I think, it, my suspicion is that it's gonna fall more into that camp. Um, I think that, you know, just as now, um, people still go back and rewatch the Star Wars trilogy all the time, but very few people, but people certainly don't consider those six movies as like a six movie set. Um, and very, much, very many fewer people go back and, and re-watch the, you know, episodes one through three um, than watch episode uh, four through six, I suspect that that's going to be the fate of these movies. I, I suspect it's going to be more likely that 10 to 15 years from now there will be more people trying to forget that The Hobbit movies ever happened and still watching the Lord of the Rings movies um, than who just consider them as a, as, as a set of six. Um, I, again, I don't think it's going to be as extreme, um as with the um as with the star wars movies because the star wars movies like the star wars prequels were bad in almost every way right um i mean they were bad as individual movies they did horrible things with the story and in fact they like if you watch them and take them seriously, they seriously undermine. They make it harder to enjoy the original movies um, uh, than before they happened. And the Hobbit films don't do that exactly. so I don't think they do that. Um, and indeed, just as I've been saying all along, in many ways, I find them more thoughtful and more interesting. Um, I, I still find them more. Um, I still find them much more engaging as adaptations of Tolkien's work than I find the Lord of the Rings films. Um, so I think there's more to them than to the later Star Wars films. So I don't um, I don't think it's going to be anything like exactly the same. But I tend to fit them more into that overall category um, than uh, uh, than you know that they're going to really become a unit.
0: I'll be very interested to see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Should we should we let have we like just. Have we just tortured these people long enough?
2: I think so. One, uh, um, one two quick announcements I want to leave with. Um, one is uh, uh, course registration for um, Mythgard Spring Courses is open now. Um, so uh, uh, if you, uh, there are two literature courses for this coming semester are um, the part two of Amy Sturgis' awesome science fiction class. If you want, you know, an ex- you know, if, if you've always wanted to kind of ground yourself in the history of science fiction, if you, you, you want to get a kind of a bigger view of what, you know, science fiction literature is really about, um, and kind of get some context for modern science fiction, it is an awesome class. So that class is open. Um, and of course, we also have um, this, like, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to study Beowulf with Tom Shippey, so it's it's uh, you know looking at Beowulf and Tolkien's thoughts about Beowulf from one of the foremost Tolkien and foremost Beowulf scholars uh, uh, alive. Um, so I I just can't uh, I, I certainly can't recommend either one of our classes enough. The the and the the I know for 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 Tolkien fans, the uh, the Tom Shippey class is a is just an amazing opportunity. So. Um, if you ever wanted to take a class with Tom Shippey, now is your now is your time. Um, I'm sending around uh, to everybody who's present here the link uh, to our uh, spring courses list. So that's our first my first <clears throat> announcement um is that uh to 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 make sure to check out our spring courses. Uh the other is uh something we are announcing here today for the very first time. Um, those of you who were following um Our fundraiser a few months ago will remember at the end that I was talking about um, wanting to uh, take some of the wonderful support that we got from our students and our listeners um, and uh, use it to set up more regional events to do, you know, MythMood is awesome and MythMood is good. Don't forget about MythMood. I suppose I should add that as an extra announcement. Um, uh, MythMood is the big party of the year. You know, that's happening in January. There's still time to register. So, you know, definitely go do that. You know, uh, MythMood on, on the on the MythGuard website. Um, we're also, in this coming year, uh, going to be doing some more regional events. And so we're starting with one that I've been talking about for a while, and it's finally officially happening. Um, And that is, we're doing a Lord of the Rings movie marathon. Um, I did those for many years uh, at the college where I used to teach, and they were a lot of fun. Um, So we're doing an all-day viewing of the of the Lord of the Rings films um, with Hobbit-themed food uh, catered for you throughout the day. Um, And we're going to have, you know, so we're going we're going to have Hobbit food and discussion and everything mixed in. It's going to be an awesome day. Um, And so that is. um, uh, and, and that's going to be uh, in in Boston, in the in the in, in the Boston area, in Arlington technically, um, and at, at the end of February. Uh, so that's February twenty eight, two thousand fifteen, in Arlington. Uh, you know, in in the Boston area, um, you can find the registration link to that here. Sending that around that page will give you links to the registration. Uh, um, Form for that event, um, it should be that should be really really great fun. I'm collaborating with uh, with with Heath Dill, author of uh, Medium Rare and Back Again. Um, we're going to be we're going to be uh, uh, enjoying uh, many of his Tolkien-themed recipes throughout the day uh, while we uh, uh, watch and discuss the films. Um, so that should be that should be an awesome day. So again, that's February 28th, 2015, uh, in the Boston area. And we're hoping to do other regional events of that kind, too, later on in the year. But we'll see. Cooley. All right. So that's what's going on. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today. Uh, I, I appreciate all the people who have uh, been making lots of really interesting comments yeah. today. and uh, have, This was have a good episode. Us. Yeah, for this session. So yeah, that, thanks for thanks for that. So um,
0: we'll thank you guys. Thank both. Thank both of you for making time on your Saturday to do it. Um, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. No, that's been great. Yeah. Uh, I thank I've, you guys for. I've been
0: itching so much to talk to 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 Trish and you, Corey. <laughs> like like yeah, I, yeah. I remember remember we like we had a we,
1: record number of emails from Dave.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If you can't tell, I've been a little obsessed. I've been like
2: manic and about texts. it. <laughs> yeah, like my phone was going crazy. Dave it's was like so texting right. me and Trish yeah, yeah. Like on the, on the, when he first saw the film. And I just had to keep texting back, save it for the episode. Trish, save it for the Trish episode. and I started the
0: episode <laughs> a little early.
2: Yes, you did. You did. Um, yeah, so no, it's, it's, you know, and this is, you know, it's, it's a fun moment to look back on, you know, sort of retrospective on the Riddles in the Dark experience, you know, and we've we've got some things to wrap up. We're going to go back and revisit our riddles and, and you know, sort of talk those over and, and that'll give us a chance to look at some of these things, um, you know, a little bit more as we move forward, but... um um, but certainly thank you guys for uh, for joining me uh, on this on this long journey um, which uh, is in every dimension a great deal longer than Bilbo 's journey in the film certainly um, <laughs> Uh, you know, the <laughs> auctioneer said it had taken 13 months. I don't see how they add up to 13 months, frankly, with the action that we saw on screen. Uh, but even if uh, even if that, uh, it's been several times 13 months for us. So, um, uh, that's, right. that's right. So anyway, I uh, I, I, I have appreciated, and of course, to all of you faithful uh, listeners and uh, attendees who have been uh, joining us all through the years. So, um, anyway, uh, so so. Thanks, everybody. Uh, Thanks for joining us. And I will say, as always, thanks for listening and Godspeed.